Radio 4 Extra is proud to present Comedy Greats With the funniest radio of the 1950s Here's the one and only King of Skiffle Barry Cryer Hello, I'm Barry Cryer and welcome to Comedy Greats on Radio 4 Extra. This is a series showcasing some of the funniest and finest shows ever broadcast by the BBC, decade by decade. Many of radio's biggest stars were created in the 1950s, as you're about to hear in our comedy six-pack. Life with the Lions, In All Directions, The Al Reed Show, A Life of Bliss, Take It From Here and one of the real all-time greats, The Goon Show. Ah, the 50s. What a time it was, I'm told. I was allowed to stay up to listen to these shows. I was in my 20s, but the nuns were very strict. Yes, that's all very enlightening, but what do you want me to do? Oh, excuse me, one moment. Hello? What are you looking so lugubrious about? They're saying you're going round with a married woman. You know, all the young girls are just crazy about you. Yes, we certainly are. <laughs> no, straight away he came up and he put his arm round me, called me gorgeous. <laughs> oh, and he was strong. <laughs> Hello, son. Oh. <laughs> oh, you threw a teapot at me. <laughs> Of course, way back then, with television still in its infancy, radio was king, with the BBC offering a choice of just three stations, the third, the light, and the home service. Large, throbbing wireless sets packed with glowing orange valves sat in countless living rooms across the land. I remember ours was built on the lines of a cinema organ with wonderful stations like Droitwich on the dial. And all the while, men wore hats and women wore girdles. Smokers were puffing on strands, a double diamond worked wonders, and the co-op dished out your divvy. But on the wireless, as radio was so quaintly named back then, the laughs came thick and fast. Incidentally, the BBC house white wine is called Sans-Fille, without wire, wireless. Get it? Favourite shows were not to be missed, commanding audiences in the multiple millions. It truly was a golden age for radio comedy. 1950 saw the arrival of Life with the Lions. Despite sounding like an early wildlife vehicle for Sir David Attenborough, this family sitcom was a huge favourite. Former Hollywood silent movie star B.B. Daniels starred with her real-life American family, husband Ben Lyon plus kids Barbara and Richard. Every series ran for over half a year. And so successful was it, Life with the Lions found even more fame later, switching to telly. But let's join them now in January 1955. Music's on their mind, thanks to their chart-topping co-star of the week, Ronnie Harris. It was Ronnie who, in the following year, helped launch Britain's first rock and roll stage show. It's all here. Fat lady jokes, crazy sidekicks, and if you don't know what a shilling is, You'd better ask Gran. The BBC presents Life with the Lion. Once again, we'd like you to meet the Lion family. 
I'm Richard Lyon. I'm Barbara Lyon. I'm Ben Lyon. And I'm Baby Daniels Lyon. And here they are in a crooner in the house. Is lunch ready yet? Yes, but I didn't know you would be in. Oh, I hope there'll be enough to go round. Oh, don't worry. But I've only made a small toad in the hole. Well, then we'll all have just a little less toad and a little more hole. <laughs> Aye. Well, I'll away and get it. Fine. Oh, kids, lunch is ready. Here's the toad in the hole. What's a toad in the hole? It's like a frog in the throat with batter around it. <laughs> <laughs> now, cut the jokes. <laughs> Eat your lunch, kids. <laughs> okay. Hey, Barbara, pass me the potatoes, will you? <sighs> Barbara, Richard wants the potatoes. Oh, no, thank you, Mother. I don't want any potatoes. <laughs> Darling, what's wrong with you? Oh, nothing. Everything's wonderful. Everything's beautiful. Uh-oh, she's in love again. <laughs> I had no idea you were so in love with Harold. Harold? Oh, I'm not in love with him. Don't tell me you found another silly sucker. <laughs> Richard, that's no way to talk about your sister's friends. He's probably a very nice sucker. <laughs> probably an all-day sucker. Barbara, where did you meet this boy? Oh, it all happened in the reference room of the public library. We both walked to the center table to use the dictionary. He was looking for laryngitis when suddenly he saw me. <laughs> well, Barbara, you may not be laryngitis, but you're certainly a pain in the neck. Well, look, I'm not at all in favor of your speaking to a strange young man in a public library. Now, wait a minute, honey. We haven't heard the whole story yet. He's probably a very nice boy. Uh, Barbara, tell your dear old dad about him. Who is he? What does he do? Well, you might not approve of him if I tell you what his job is. Nonsense. As long as you like him, that's good enough for us. We don't care what he does. Dustman, window cleaner, BBC announcer, <laughs> insurance agent. He's a crooner. What? <laughs> Daddy, you dropped the dish. I know I dropped the dish. <laughs> Mother, I invited him to dinner tonight. Is that all right? Of course, dear. Of all the men in the world, why must you fall for a weak-kneed crooner? Who is this Wailing Willie, anyway? He is not a Wailing Willie. He's Ronnie Harris. Ronnie Harris? Oh, boy. Ronnie Harris in our dining room. Well, we'll be the envy of the whole neighborhood. I don't know why you're all so impressed with a man who has to sing over a microphone. He doesn't need a microphone to sing over. No, he needs one to hold himself up. <laughs> I'd never even mention it. You're all ruining my life. That's all. Just ruining my life. What, again? Ben, I do think you are unreasonable. I'll go up and apologize for you. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to telephone Harold and ask him to come over. Hey, Pop, Harold's coming up the path. Yes, I can see him. You know, life's a funny thing. I never thought I'd prefer Harold to anyone. Come in. 
Hello, Mr. Lyon. <laughs> come in, Harold. Oh, thank you. Now, I'll come straight to the point. I suppose you know Barbara is infatuated with Ronnie Harris. Oh, yes, sir. I've noticed her feelings towards me changing. Only last Tuesday, she gave me a peculiar look. Well, you've always had that. <laughs> but she is changing. Yeah, and Pop wants you to try and win her back. Well, how? By pretending you're musical. Oh, I won't have to pretend. I love music. Why, every time I hear good music, something inside me starts to sing. Oh, come now, boy. Don't tell me you've swallowed a canary. Stop that, Richard. Uh, tell me, Harold, do you do any singing? Oh, yes. I I've got a very good voice. Splendid. Did you hear that, Richard? Yeah, but don't you think he should sing two or three songs for us before he tries them out on Barbara? That's a good idea. Harold, let's hear you sing two or three numbers. Oh, oh very well. <clears throat> Seven, eleven, twenty-four. <laughs> I mean songs, you fathead. Oh, please, Mr. Lyon. It's just that I'm nervous about singing. Well, then forget it. Uh, tell Barbara you're a cellist. You won't have to prove that because we haven't got a cello. Oh, good. Come on, Harold. She's in the den. I'll take you in. Hey, Barbara, look who's here. Hello, Barbara. Oh, hello. Uh, I've just been playing a few trumpet voluntaries on my cello. <laughs> <laughs> on your cello? Uh, yes, uh, of course, I'm only a learner. So far, I can only play it side saddle. <laughs> oh, Harold, you're so trivial. Uh, Barbara, why don't you tell him how you went to the BBC to watch Ronnie Harris broadcast? Oh, that's no secret. I wanted to be sure of my love. And when I saw him standing there by the double bass, I knew it was bigger than both of us. <laughs> well, I, I know as much about music as he does. Well, what's more, I think that beautiful things like music and you are inseparable. Oh, you do? Yes. Why, when I'm with you, my senses sing a lovely symphony, my heart sighs like a violin, and my brain sounds a fanfare to your beauty. Quite the little one-man band, aren't you? <laughs> Richard! Harold, that's almost the way I feel about Ronnie when I hear him sing. He has the kind of voice that reaches out and runs its fingers through my hair. Well, I guess that's cheaper than buying a comb. <laughs> Richard, if you don't leave us alone, I'll call Mother. Okay, okay, I'm going. Listen, Harold, I don't want to be unkind, but now that I've met Ronnie, you can never recapture my love. Well, perhaps not right away, but eventually I'll creep into your mind. I'll creep into your heart. Believe me, Barbara, I'm the biggest creep in town. <laughs> oh, no, Harold, no, it's no use. You can't understand the way I feel about him. You see, men and women are different. I know. They've got long hair. <laughs> oh, maybe I can explain it to you another way. Oh, there's no need to explain. Ronnie's marvelous, and I'm just a silly, ugly, insignificant little twerp. Oh, no, dear. You're not little. <laughs> well, I suppose it's all over. You and I could have made sweet music together, but it seems the bottom has dropped out of our intermezzo. Goodbye, Harold. If music be the food of love, if music be... Goodbye, Harold. Goodbye, Barbara. Oh, Richard, did Harold and Barbara patch things up? No, she said she never really cared for him in the first place. And in the second place, she doesn't want to see him in any place. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, fine, fine. I just got that. Come in. Hello. Well, Wimpy, what brings you over at the time of day? This little book. I brought it along to get Ronnie Harris's autograph for my kids. Were they fans of his? Oh, not half. Oh, hello, Mr. Wimple. Ben, I want to show you the album I bought for Ronnie Harris to autograph. That's, that's a wicked waste of money. We've already got an autograph book. I know, but you've signed every page. <laughs> well, he could have signed his name under mine. Honestly, Wimple, ever since they heard that crooner was coming to dinner, everyone in the house seems to have taken leave of their senses. Did you ever hear Ronnie sing? Yes. My wife took me to a concert of his once, and it was packed. I'd never seen such an enormous gathering. You have now. Hello! Oh, baby darling, as soon as I heard Ronnie Harris was coming here, I doubled round the back. You've doubled round the front, too. <laughs> I hadn't time to waste talking to Small Fry. Now, Bibi, I simply can't wait to meet this fabulous man. Oh, oh. Last time I heard him sing, I went all to pieces. Well, whoever put you together again did a horrible job. <laughs> darling. Would you like to have dinner with us and meet him? Oh, I'd love to. Oh, and Mr. Wimple, we're expecting you and your wife. Oh, Tom. <laughs> I do hope I can get his autograph. I'd give anything for it. You mean you'd actually pay money? Of course. Do you think there are many people who'd be willing to pay? I'm sure of it. Ma, you have no idea how I'm looking forward to this party tonight. <laughs> Hey, Robin, you know who's coming over for dinner tonight? Yes. Well, you and I are going into business. We're going to sell his autograph to all the kids in the neighborhood. Will they buy them? Oh, sure they'll buy them. They're all fans of his, aren't they? What are fans? Oh, people who write letters to their favorite star, asking them to sing a special song, or do their favorite act. I'll bet Daddy got lots of letters asking him to do something. Yeah, but naturally, you never did it. Uh, now, about these autographs. <laughs> How much are we going to charge? A shilling apiece. Jeepers. And if we run across someone with half a crown... Maybe we can get Ronnie to write something very special, like yours truly or something. I hope his armholes out. Oh, the autographs aren't all. We'll invite the kids to come into the back garden and listen to him sing. For that, we'll charge a shilling each. Oh, Master Richard, will you ask Mr. Harris to sign my autograph book tonight? Oh, sure, Aggie. It'll only cost you a shilling. A shilling? Oh, very well. Richard, don't forget to get an autograph for me. Okay, that'll cost you a shilling. But, but I thought we were partners. Oh, we are. But you don't want the business to lose money, do you? <laughs> I never thought of that. Here's a shilling. Thanks. It must be an awful nuisance having a brother who's too young to understand money. On the contrary, it's a great advantage. <laughs> well, if you'll give me some tickets for tonight, I'll start selling them. Ah, that's my partner. Here's some I wrote out. Now remember, one shilling for the first row, sixpence for the second row, and tuppence for the balcony. The balcony? Where's that? In the tree. Now get going. <laughs> Good. Did you sell all the tickets? Yes. And I got orders for 36 autographs. That's terrific. Tell the kids to be here by 8 o'clock. Dinner should be over by then, and then we can ask him to sing. Okay. Good. Now let's get to work. I'll open the back door, and you carry those three chairs out. All right. When you finish that, I'll hand you out this other one. Okay. Not so loud. Don't drag them. Oh, Aggie, do you want me to... Richard, what are you doing in the kitchen? Oh, uh, hello, Ma. Rich, I'm ready for the other chair. What chair? What chair? Goodbye, Mom. <laughs> <laughs>
the garden. Uh, chairs? Oh, um, uh, those are for Aggie. Three chairs for Aggie? A good idea. Three chairs for Aggie. Hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, hip. So long, Ma. He's acting very peculiar. Oh, Mrs. Lyon, Miss Barbara and I have finished laying the table, and it looks beautiful. Oh, good. Hello. I hope I'm not too early. Oh, of course you aren't. Oh, Flory, you look divine. Why, Ronnie Harris. Why, hello, Barbara. Ronnie. Won't you come in? Well, thank you. What a charming house you have. Would you like it? Oh, I mean, I, I'm so glad you like it. <laughs> come on in the living room and sit down. Oh, uh, hello, Barbara. Oh, uh, hello, everybody. Uh, this is Mr. Harris. Good evening, all. Uh, could I have your autograph? Of course. Thanks. How does it feel to have a lot of women faint when you go places? Well, it's very flattering, but I really can't think why they do it. Of course, I can understand if it happened to someone like your father. What? Yes. I suppose millions of women have fainted at the sight of that tall, dignified figure, that handsome face, <laughs> and that beautiful voice. Well, uh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness, Daddy. Daddy, you never made anybody faint in your whole life. Oh, that's where you're wrong. I remember the night when dozens of women fainted all around me. When? The night I went through the wrong door at the Turkish bath. <laughs> What a wonderful sense of humor your father has. I'll never forget the first time I saw him at the Palladium. I bet you laughed so hard you nearly fell out of your pram. <laughs> Look. Let the boy talk. I've always been a great admirer of yours, Mr. Lamb. Well, I must say one thing for you, son. You have excellent taste. <laughs> uh, come in the den and we'll have a cigar. Thanks. That'll be wonderful. Excuse us, ladies. You know, Ronnie, I like you. I'm glad you're not one of those impossible people who want to talk about themselves all the time. Thank you, sir. Now, uh, tell me again, son. Uh, what did you like most about my act at the Palladium? <laughs> Personally, I think... I haven't seen Daddy so happy since he got lost in the Hall of Mirrors. <laughs> Sorry, dear, but I've been talking to Ronnie about doing a musical with me. Do you think a couple of male singers in the same show are too many? Oh, Ben, you can't possibly compare your voice with Ronnie Harris. Oh, I don't know. He's coming along very fast. <laughs> Could I have some more autographs, please? Of course. Oh, uh, me too. Oh, Bibi, isn't he handsome? Yes, he looks a lot like Ronnie Harris. Oh, Mother, he is Ronnie Harris. Oh, well, that accounts for the resemblance. <laughs> Oh, just wait until I tell all my girlfriends that you were actually in my house. You know, all the young girls are just crazy about you. Yes, we certainly are. <laughs> Say, could I have another autograph? Uh, me too. Oh, boys, boys, leave him alone. Uh, come in. Hello. Uh, Wimple, come over here. I want you to meet our guest of honor. Well, how do you do? The, oh... I'll never wash this hand again. <laughs> Whipple, stop that. Sorry. You know, Mr. Harris, you've caused a lot of trouble in my house. My missus says if she ever meets you, she'll leave home. 
Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Oh, I'm not reproaching you. I was just wondering if you'd come over and meet her. <laughs> oh, Ronnie, dinner won't be ready until 7.30, so I was wondering if you'd sing for us. Richard, he can't sing yet. The kids aren't outside. I know, but how am I going to stop him? Richard, stop that whispering. Uh, uh, go ahead, Ronnie. <laughs> I don't think the boys want me to sing. Uh, no, we don't. <laughs> Robin! I mean, it's too early yet. How about after dinner? Oh, but we want to hear him sing now. All right. What would you like? Hold my hand? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> oh, Aunt Flora, he means the song. How about I love Harris in the springtime? <laughs> I mean Paris. Fine. Why don't you wait until you've had your dinner? You'll feel stronger. Yes, we all will. <laughs> Maybe I'd better not sing. Oh, Ronnie, please sing. If you don't sing, I'll die. I'll just die. I'll tell Aggie there'll be one less for dinner Now, you be quiet uh, Ronnie, I have an instrumental record here of Sposen Will you sing that for us? Well, if you all can take it, I'd love to Fine Supposing I should fall in love with you Do you think that you could love me too? Supposing I should hold you and caress you Would it impress you or distress you? Supposing I should say for you I yearn would you think I'm speaking out of turn? And suppose and I declare it, would you take my love and share it? I'm not supposing I'm in love with you. Just supposing I should fall in love with you. Do you think that you could love me too? And I should hold you and caress you Would it impress you or distress you Just supposing I should say For you I yearn Would you think I'm speaking out of turn And supposing I declare it would you take my love and share it? I'm not supposing I'm in love with you. And supposing I declare it, would you take my love and share it? I'm not supposing I'm in love with you. No, I'm not supposing I'm in love with you. Come on in here. We thought we'd have our coffee in the living room. Hey, Rich, can I 
see you a minute. Oh, excuse me. What do you want, Robin? It's nine o'clock. The kids are in the garden, and they're getting mad. It's cold out there. I can't get them to sing again yet. Pull the curtain, and they can see him through the big window. Okay, but make him sit in that chair facing the window. Oh, I will. Say, Mr. Harris, come and sit in this big chair in front of the window. There's a nice view of the garden. But it's dark outside. Already? Already? It's nine o'clock. It's been dark for five hours. What screwy weather. Robin, why did you open those curtains? There's too much light in here. I thought we ought to let some of it out. <laughs> what? Yeah, with the curtains open, it's much cozier, isn't it? No, no, it's cozier with them closed. How about halfway? Robin, what's the matter with you? You're acting very peculiar. Well, Ben, you said you wanted him to be like one of the family. <laughs> That's not what I meant. Robin, close those curtains. Okay. Richard, you better get him to sing or we're going to have trouble. The kids are getting cold in the snow. What kids? What snow? Nothing. What snow with you? <laughs> oh, Ronnie, would you sing for us now? Oh, but Richard, he's just finished his dinner. Yeah, surely you wouldn't want him to sing with a full stomach. Oh, we don't care who he sings with. <laughs> later, son, later. Robin, what are you doing with those curtains? I lost something. What did you lose? I don't know. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> well, close those curtains and leave them alone. Okay, Daddy. Say, what's that noise? There must be somebody out in the garden. Well, if there is, thank goodness you have a man here who isn't afraid to go out in there and see. We have? Yes, go out, Wimple, and look. <laughs> Okie doke. Oh, I wouldn't bother Mr. Wimple. Who'd want to be in the garden on a cold night like this? Maybe it's a cat burglar. Then why worry our cat's in here? <laughs> well, I'd better go out and see anyway. Oh, no, I'll go. It's probably just an old owl. <laughs> that old owl certainly has a cold. Oh, Richard, hurry. Okay, Ma, will you please hold my money for me? Whatever for. Well, you never know who you're going to meet when you step out into the dark. Robin's got those darn curtains open again. Where is that boy, anyway? And where's Richard? I think he's still out in the garden. Ben, I'm worried. He's been gone a long time. That makes two of you. <laughs> Mr. L, look. Look, where, where? What's the matter? There's a face peering through the window. Oh, yes, yes. I can't see it. Well, look, can't you see a little monster with a flat nose and pop eyes? All I can see is my own reflection. That's close enough. <laughs> see, maybe it's Richard. He's still out there. Oh, Richard! Uh, what do you want? Oh, you better lock that door. We think there's someone lurking in the garden. Yes, we don't want any strange men coming in here. You speak for yourself. <laughs> Richard, the kids are getting mad. They want their money back. Well, there must be an easier way. I'll go and see who that is. I'll come with you, Ben. It may be the taxi I ordered. Oh, I hope not. I'm coming. Oh, hello, Mr. Lyon. Why, Harold, what brings you here? I came over to say goodbye to Barbara, even though it's going to break my heart. <laughs> I'm going away forever. I'm sorry, Harold. Oh, by the way, this is Ronnie Harris. Oh, so you're the man who stole my girl. Oh, you're mistaken. He didn't even know about it. Now, come on, you two shouldn't quarrel. I'm sorry. It's just that I don't want to lose Barbara. Well, then, I'll step out. Oh, no, that wouldn't do any good. She's just interested in singers. Say, I've got a wonderful idea. All we need is a record of a first-class singer. Well, I've got the very thing, a wonderful record. That'll be perfect. Now, listen carefully. I'll tell Barbara that Harold has a sensational voice. Yes. Then you put the record on in the dining room. And you want me just to open and close my mouth in time for the song? He's not as dumb as he looks. <laughs> but then, he couldn't be. <laughs> Come on, let's get back to Barbara. 
Uh, Barbara, look who's here. Oh, hello, Harold. Barbara, there's something you didn't know about Harold. He has a wonderful voice. He never told me that. Oh, that's because he's too modest. Uh, Harold, go ahead and sing for Barbara. Oh. That's enough, that's enough. <laughs> you see, Barbara? But he only sang one note. Ah, but what a note, what a note. Ronnie, I'm going out and put that record on. Cough when you're ready. Okay. I can't get over Harold being a singer. I hope he's as good as you say he is. Barbara, you may have heard some great singers, but I can truthfully say that when you listen to Harold singing, it'll be a record. Oh, well, good. <laughs> now sit down, everybody. Get ready, Harold. I'll accompany you on the piano. I'm ready. Fine. <coughs> <coughs> I dream of Jeannie with the light brown Born like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, like That was a record! Oh, I think you're all horrible! But Barbara, I can explain! Oh, you don't have to explain! This was a put-up job between you, Daddy, and Harold. Oh, that's done it. Oh, now, honey, don't get upset. Don't talk to me, any of you. I'm finished with men forever. My two little brothers are the only ones to be trusted. Come on, Richard Lyne, give us our money back. And you, Robin Lyne, come back here, you little twister. Yes, we paid you want one of sing. Oh, so that's why you two have been acting so funny all evening. Uh-oh. Oh, Richard, Robin, come on over here to your dear old dad, will you? Okay, Pop. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. Oh. oh! Well, isn't it nice to hear Big Ben striking again? <laughs> oh, cheer up, darling. It's not as bad as you think. Oh, yes, it is. My whole life is ruined. Uh, here, take my handkerchief, honey. Oh, please leave me alone, you, you man. Now, Barbara, I will not have you referring to your father as a man. <laughs> yeah, what makes you so bitter about us men? Because you all stand for the one thing I hate. You stand for deceit. Oh, 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 oh that, that ain't true, honey. Deceit is what they sits on. <laughs> Now stop teasing your sister I'll get it And if it's Harold or Ronnie I'll tell them a thing or two I'm through with men Good evening Oh, good evening What a nice looking young man Excuse me for disturbing you But I just moved into the neighborhood And our phone isn't connected yet Could I use yours? Well, of course How do you do? Oh, I'll never wash my hand again <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? Barbara's back to normal again. That was Life with the Lions, with B.B. Daniels and Ben Lyon, with their children, Barbara and Richard. Also in this recording were Doris Rogers, Molly Weir, Horace Percival, Bob Block, Richard Belairs, Hugh David, and Ronnie Harris. The script was by Bob Block, Ronnie Hambury, and B.B. Daniels. The BBC Variety Orchestra was conducted by Paul Fennelly. Production by Tom Ronald. <laughs>
The fabulous Life with the Lions from January 1955. Still to come, The Al Reed Show, A Life of Bliss, Take It From Here, and The Goon Show. The best in comedy and drama. BBC Radio 4 Extra. Barry Cryer here with comedy greats from the 50s. Still ahead, The Al Reed Show, A Life of Bliss, Take It From Here, and The Goon Show. Dating from 1952, In All Directions was a pioneering series, thanks to its star and first solo writer, Peter Ustinov. His co-star, Peter Jones, joined him as co-writer from series number two. Frank Muir and Dennis Norden initially edited the scripts, and with greater fame and fortune still ahead for both of them, the Peters thought up a novel creative approach for the time. They tape-recorded ideas for characters and sketches aloud. These were honed and finally scripted for recording without a studio audience. Both stars were to be reunited in front of the BBC's TV cameras in 1966. But we're joining them in 1956. Listen out for regular fixtures, Mullis and Dudley, the two shabby businessmen, as the two Peters are about to arrive at the BBC. I remember going into the BBC in those days. You had to have some ID, a ration book or something like that. This is the BBC Home Service. We present Peter Ustinov and Peter Jones in all directions in search of a guide, philosopher and friend. Well, here we are, back at Broadcasting House. Uh, <clears throat> After what happened last time, we'd better consult the receptionist. Yes, she did seem a bit short with us for ignoring her. Mm. Uh, excuse me. Yes? Oh, Mr. James. Uh, Jones, uh, any sign of Mr. Dixon this week? Well, no, I've been a very good girl. I've done quite a bit of scouting around for you. <laughs> now, the latest from the Erdmin grapevine is that Mr. Dixon appears to be in Paris on a goodwill mission to his opposite number at RDF. Radio Diffusion. <laughs> that is the rumour, anyway. Well, then you can be sure it's false. What do you mean? I mistrust rumours. Mm, so do I. Well, I'm sure I don't know why. Then listen. The scene is Studio B3 at Lime Grove. Animal, vegetable and mineral is in progress. And uh, the next object, Professor Walker? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's quite clearly Saxon, but uh, what is it? <laughs> a wooden stick with an ivory curl or handle at its base, eh, Delamere? Well, not uh, really at its base. If we turn it the other way up, which after all might be the right way, its base would be... That uh, bronze was a tin of ferro. It was uh, copper. Uh, maybe late Roman. Oh, hardly. Oh, could oh, be. No, no. Whatever it is, it's certainly Shropshire. Oh, yes, I was taking that for granted. Uh, North Shropshire. Well, obviously, once it's Shropshire, it's bound to be North Shropshire. But, uh, I mean, South Shropshire stuff has a quite different patina. And the pentiminty on the catafalque would be irregular. But it goes yes. without saying yes. that... Uh, Black frame over a rather empathic uh, cloth stretched over it. It's unusual, though. Yes. What is it, this uh, 
Well now, uh, well now, well now. Uh, 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 I would die. Are you ready? I would uh, hazard a guess that this is an implement for trapping rainwater. Bah. Uh, yes, you see, it was left like this with a ferrule in the ground. In other words, downward. Uh, yes, that's right, downward. Uh, as the rainwater fell, it was trapped by the cloth, which I doubt it's the original cloth, but still, uh, which, uh, which gradually expanded until uh, the uh, portable trough well, that's what it is, really, portable trough. Portable <laughs> trough. You make that sound very plausible, but I think it was meant as a kind of auxiliary sail for a coracle. Oh, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm out of the question. We should have the grace to help me out. Oh, no, no, it, no. It's very rare. Oh, there no, I, no. oh, I quite agree. It is, in fact, unique. I think we should be very glad to have this in our hands at the moment. You've got the other end, haven't you, Delamere? Well, yes. yes. Well, what does the, the museum say it is, Mr. Chairman? Well... Uh, the museum says it's a fake Babylonian ashtray made in Budapest about 1900. <laughs> 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 it's a very good one. Of course, it's utterly ludicrous. <laughs> yes, well, I agree with you. I think your solution is by far the most likely. Therefore, I'm giving you 12 marks out of a possible 10. The next morning at inquiries, the Bishop of Polperro. Uh, <laughs> I say, I was doing a television appeal here yesterday afternoon and I left my umbrella in the studio. Is there any sign of it? Yes, but it was already in the papers that a new Saxon implement had been discovered. On a more workaday level, the following occurred in Hollywood. <laughs> Scene. A corner table at the Red Boater restaurant on Hollywood Sunset Boulevard. A famous film star, Linda McHopkins, speaks to a waiter. Uh, hey, waiter. Yep. Waiter. Oh, is that water gauge over there two tables away? Yeah, that's right. Would, by the air conditioner? Oh, would you ask him to come over as soon? Oh, it doesn't matter. It's all right. He's sick. How oh, water? Why, hello water. there, oh. Lindy May. Wow. Why, how nice. <laughs> oh, dear, Walter. I wanted to see you bad, but bad. I've got these new pictures of the three kids, and I knew you'd just oh, die to see them. Oh, that's fine. Let's see now. Well, let's... now, this is the eldest, Joe Annie, pushing the two boys in a little... Isn't a cute little oh. railroad engine we brought them last Christmas? Aren't those kids just the greatest, aren't, aren't they, they, though? though? Oh. Aren't they? They are just our whole life, Walter. Jack are. and I were wow. saying only the other day, just our whole life, we said. We <laughs> both said it. Mm. Molly and I just live for ours, too. You must come over, and we can all get together. How about Sunday? Sunday be just fine. What time? Oh, before lunch. We'll fix a barbecue. Oh, dear Walter. Fine. Well, we'll see you then. Fine. <laughs> bye for now, Lady May. Got to get back to the studio. God. Bye-bye. Wilbur Wastrel in his weekly broadcast on a coast-to-coast hookup. Lindy May Hopkins and Walter Gage with that certain look in their eyes over lunch at the Red Boater Thursday. Cupid tells me Lindy Lou and Walter are already Reno-bound, after which there'll be wedding bells in Celluloid City. Yes, and in the world of accurate reporting, this. The scene is the White House. What about China, sir? Uh, it's still there, I think, boys. <laughs> is Attlee going to win the next election, sir? 
Oh, is Golden Folly going to win the Kentucky Derby, boys? Have you talked with Churchill recently? I sent him a Christmas card, sir. What about Monsieur Franck? Uh, I have a great respect for him, sir. Uh, could a war be won with 150 divisions? It, uh, why, that depends how many divisions the other guys got, boys. <laughs> Mr. President, does the recent change in Soviet leadership make your job easier or more difficult? Oh, well, without committing myself, sir, in any way, I'd say more difficult. And most disturbing of all, this from the infinite field of human gullibility. The scene is Runcorn, Lancashire, 7.15 at night. Are you going to shut up? No, I'm not. If you don't stop your nagging, I'll throw something at you. Honest, I will now. A I'll lot throw it. of a lot of water has flown under a lot of bridges, Henry Thompson. Stop sneering now, <laughs> don't you? I'm going back to Mother. Here goes. Oh, you threw a teapot at me. Yes, and I missed worse. Look, better look next time. Oh, you brute. That was my best cook. Missed again. Third time, lucky. It's gone out of the window. It's clean out of the window. Statement of Arnold Filtz to Morning Paper. I was going home about 7.15 last night, minding my own business, when a shining object passed overhead at tremendous rate. It was the shape of a saucer. It was going too fast for me to be able to see if there was anyone inside it. Yes, that's all very enlightening, but what do you want me to do? Oh, excuse me, one moment. Hello? Oh, I see. Oh, it's Mr. Beckwith, was it? Oh, well, that's just... Thank you very much, Colleen. Yes, well, it's Mr. Beckwith who's in Paris. Oh, the no. names are somewhat similar. Rumour has it now that Mr. Dixon is in Studio E8. But what he's doing there, I can't think. <laughs> During the rebuilding, it's being shared by World Theatre and Mrs. Dale. Oh, dear. Come on, Peter. World Theatre and Mrs. Dale? What a mixture. I wonder if they ever get muddled up. Uh-huh. Hist, who lingers there by harp and guttering flame? Who is the damsel that so loudly knocks upon the door of middle age and with tones most refined and suburban mutters sweet nothings over goblets of sweet, unpoisoned tea. Is it she, Mistress Dale, the ray of bleakish sunshine that plays about the good apothecary's pillow? The poor soul sat sighing by a family tree, sing all a white pillow, her hand on her knitting, her lip in her tea, sing pillow, Pillow, pillow. Tis she. See how she disentangleth each scale of wild white wool to bring good cheer to her great and garbled family, seven score of marriages and their confused fruit, 
close upon 200 birthdays to remember, and winter cold this year, and hoar, and no cause for smiling. But soft, here's Dale himself without, to the navel girt with snow. <laughs> A right good evening to you, Nan. A stouter, righter one to thee, thou stout good man. The good I'll own, the stout it likes me less. <laughs> but no matter, what do you, damsel, knit? The milkman run by her, the one called Jones. Sing pillow, pillow, pillow. Her salt tears fell from her and ruined the scones. Wrap up these Christmas parcels. Sing pillow, pillow, pillow. Prithee hie thee, the postman will come anon. Sing all a white pillow must be my garland. Let nobody blame him, his profession's at fault. Nay, that's not next. Hark, who is it that knocks? It is the postman. Alas, not yet. How time's winged chariot doth canter o'er the clock. Prithee, good my husband, dost thou now gee to the gaunt blue courier that rides the full-bosomed clouds from Mount Pleasant to Cathay, a hundred ducats for pale grey stamps, and nine angels for symbols of a purple hue that by wealth of cardigans do reach the Thompsons in Bombay, and good cousin Willoughby in nearby Ashby de la Zouche. Not I, for I must away, dear Nan, at Esculap's behest. For when stethoscopes hang by the wall, all's idleness. And the devil doth ride abroad, laying on with warts and sores and scurvious rashes all those he finds that all do partake of his dark appendectomy. Therefore, farewell. Tarry! I may not. The Jenks's child is worse. And being worse, no better. Its face being all enmumped. Alack! That word I'll echo. Master Somerset. Most grievous and roomed with the Spanish influence. Good Miss Donkin. Not better yet, nor will be. For the gout doth make a mockery of toes. I'll on my way to carry comfort here and there. To be a doctor's wife's to cease to care. information, and let me send my letters sans stamps, sans envelopes, sans all, for whosoe'er would dress themselves in woolies new, must, like the Thompsons in Bombay, pay postage due. <laughs> Well, I think the PRO's office is along this corridor. P-P-R-O? You know, public relations. Oh, what goes on there? Well, they hand out news to the press and answer letters from listeners and all that sort of thing. Oh, then I suppose they can put their fingers on anybody, even, even Pat Dixon. I think so. I believe they're frightfully well organised. Oh, shall we go in? Uh, just a minute. I think the chief P-R-O is on the phone. Open the door an inch or two so that we can hear. 
regard to 1984, the powers that be seem to think we've squeezed this story pretty dry, but I think there's still life in it. We had some more letters of protest only this morning from the Gold Coast, so I think that proves that the controversy is still very much alive in the Commonwealth, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more from Australia and New Zealand, only the mail's rather slow. Oh yes, well outside the radios, even for fourth-class reception, but uh, newspaper articles and plenty of Big Brother jokes on sound radio should keep 1894 going right through to the summer, I think. And uh, that brings me to future plans. I'm afraid April's going to be rather dull. We've got one of the uh, junior announcers down for a bout of fluffing and a hiccup during the nine o'clock news of the 6th. Uh, three days of no statements about this, followed by the news that he's been transferred to West Country Children's Hour. Then, towards the end of the month, if I play my cards right, I think I shall be able to persuade MacDonald Hobley to threaten resignation. I hope you press boys will be able to do us pretty proud with this, so that there'll be a huge uh, outcry, followed by a denial from Mac uh, sometime in June, I think. No. No, we haven't got anything else cut and dry. Of course, we've always got plenty of uh, run-of-the-mill stories like uh, BBC Man Fine for Parking, uh, BBC Man Trapped in Lift, and BBC Man Quits, of course. Uh, I've got the usual man here for these jobs um, now, as a matter of fact. Um, he's sitting uh, opposite me, uh, Crispin Somerset. Yes, awfully obliging. No, it's all right, Crispin. There, chap, sit down and put that snake back in its basket, will you? <laughs> uh, no, 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 it's a, a story for next week. He's taking the snake down to Lime Grove for a surprise item to pep up, uh, find the link. I happen to remember the other day that the two million new viewers at Hutch Lust uh, haven't had a snake scare since the new transmitter was open. Yes, well, I think that's about all for the moment. Uh, should be enough for you to get on with. But uh, if you do run short of material, just uh, give me a ring. I've uh, got a permanent line through to Gilbert, and he's always very agreeable to do anything we suggest. But uh, that's only in the event of an emergency, of course. In the ordinary course of events, he'll go on being benign for another month. Then there'll be a tempestuous period of about uh, two weeks, culminating in his insulting a panellist and a challenger on the same night, after which he'll be rested, ready for a prolonged spoilt child period going right through to the autumn. Crispin, would you mind closing the door? There's rather uh, rather draft. Certainly. Well, that's that. I don't think we'll go in there. I don't like snakes, do you? No, but I must say I'm a bit disillusioned. I always thought the BBC told the truth. Oh, it isn't only the BBC, Peter. I read four books recently. <laughs> Soldier Takes Stock by General Sir Gomer Aspic, from page 812. It was on the morning of October the 12th, 1945, that the 117th Cumbrian finally pushed its way into the fastness of Bicklefeld, led by Tubby Hanson Tibler's 7th Singalese, a white good unit and pro, overcoming the crumbling Joe resistance and taking over a thousand ill-dressed and ill-equipped prisoners. Some of these, according to Buffer Wifford Brown, my GQ2 at HS24B, hadn't eaten or slept for well nigh a month. We found the Hun General cringing in a shelter, together with a Colonel Nakamura, unfortunate Japanese observer with the enemy's 17th Panzer, and Mr. Hansen, a somewhat colourless Swedish journalist. After ten minutes of bluster, the Hun caved in, and we marched him off behind bars, a fate he richly deserved. 
Ich war Soldat by General Chef von Quitz, translated by Basil Leverack for the No Name Press, from page 3417, volume 9. Our heroic soldiers finally allowed the vastly superior enemy forces to penetrate into Bickelfeld on the morning of October the 12th. By an unfortunate and unpardonable error, for which SS Lieutenant Eusiger was at once dismissed, I was not warned in time of the precipitate enemy advance, but for the treachery of this one man, the battle for Bickelfeld would certainly be going on to this day. I was tragically surprised in my bunker by an English general by name Estley or Ashford, a typical product of Sandhill, England's Potsdam on a small scale. This man, red-faced and deprived of all sense of soldier's honor, shouted at me for two hours, declining to join in such a one-sided argument. I asked politely to be escorted to a prisoner's cage. The good Nakamura came with me, and as a last gesture, I gave Hanson, a Swedish journalist, my soldier's binoculars requesting that they be sent to my mother through the Red Cross. I learned later that he had failed in this simple task. A Swede Looks On by Gunnar Hansen, translated by Olaf Greengren and Doris Daly Greengren for the Greengren Journal of the Swedish Chamber of Commerce in Hull. Page 8. The fall of Bickelfeld was a particularly noisy affair, not deprived of certain humorous elements. I was with General von Quitz at the time, when uh, the Englishman General Aspic came in. He came straight from the immortal pages of the great Walter Scott. Uh, the two of them, i.e. Aspic and Quitz, shouted at each other for some time in a soldierly way, Nakamura, the Japanese, acting as a kind of umpire in the Strindbergian tennis match. Eventually, I made peace among them in the old Swedish way by singing a toast to sportsmanship. <laughs> Von Quitz's binoculars still hang on my wall in Gothenburg. Dead Flowers Have No Language by Colonel Hideheko Nakamura, translated by the Japanese Tourist Bureau. Page 61, from the back. I feel myself to this day unworthy of having assisted at a scene of surrender so eloquent with military poetry as that in which, like some ancient samurais, those indestructibly elevated warlord Aspic and Quits met in single verbal conflict. Shame at being only a miserable colonel overwhelmed me, and I became increasingly conscious of my odious and despicable personality. The voices of my ancestors pervaded the room, asking for my bowels in august and fragrant tones. A Swede sang a beauteous song, unfortunately in the cacophonous occidental scale, and it seemed for a moment as though the damping evening dew would settle on the wings of the fighting herons. Our ancestors decreed otherwise. Then, loathsome being that I am, I was taken to a divine barbed wire enclave where I meditated for many weeks on my unutterable deficiencies. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Itzoff? 
used to know. Is it your car outside, MZ0924? Yes, what's the matter? You'll have to move it. Why, it's an even date, isn't it? Oh, it's not that, it's the archers. What is? There's a threshing machine and a reaper arrive for them in the main entrance and your car's in the way. Oh, very well, we have to park the car somewhere else. There isn't anywhere around here. Well, isn't there a proper car park at the back somewhere? Not within a mile. Nearest I know is by the canal. What, that bomb site? Yeah, that's the one. But I was up there the other day, early in the morning. Oh, I saw those two men again. Well, they're two shabby businessmen. Yes. Oh, there you are. Uh, where have you been? You were oh, late. time. You were... Look, I was ten minutes late. I'll grant it. Grant it, but well. you weren't here. And there's nothing worse than arriving ten minutes late and finding a person you're supposed to meet. He's not yet there. I mean, I that's an insult. I was here on time, went away looking for insult. you. Insult. Got cold, too. Have you got the plans? Yeah, look, I've been to the town hall. Yes. And I've been right to the department, which discusses the uh, deed of crown properties, uh, public, you know, ancient yes. light, all that. And I discovered that all the papers appertaining to this district, in fact, went up in smoke on the night of the 17th. The big blitz over ah. here, you know? Yes. So there is no way of telling who this land we're standing on belongs to. Therefore, we're safe. Sitting pretty. Absolutely. Standing. Exactly. For the well, moment, now, so we, uh, we can get some customers, uh, patients, I should say. Oh, must don't, call them patients. Oh, you don't call them customers. No, exactly. uh, we'll get them, uh, I think, dormitories we want to concentrate on. Get them building dormitories. Do you think we should have trouble persuading them? No, I think if we put it down to therapy. Exactly. Occupational Th therapy. Ther therapy, that is the word, Occupational isn't it? Yes. therapy. That's right. I think we ought to keep on with that word like a drumbeat. So do I. We're and make it plain to them, it's only the, the patients constructing their own clinic. What exactly. could be more healthy? And then they'll be permitted to live in it for about a month afterwards. That's right. And, and then make way for new patients. Exactly. That's right. Yes. That's right. And, uh, and of course it goes, you see, we, what we've got to do is to inspire in them that feeling of a great pleasure, which has been lost nowadays, let's face it. Been lost a great pleasure of manufacturing something with your own hands. Exactly. Yes. It's therapy again. It's sort of, uh, it goes right back. You don't like to add them. Exactly. Of course, he made a muck of it, but uh, no. subsequent people exactly. have done have done very well out of it on the now, whole. You've got the water. Uh, yes, I have. I've got the, the more than water bottle. I've got about uh, 800 small paper stickers with uh, typed, oh, not typed, uh, printed. Yes. Oh, printed, of course. Printed on it, uh, none genuine unless this seal is unbroken with a seal. You can stick them on almost anything. We can use it for fruit juice. Anything. Apart from water, yeah. The exactly. water actually is a bit rusty. Iron! Exactly, yes. Iron! I thought that, yes. When you mix it, you know, with those colouring matter we have, you've got a whole variety of fruit juices at your disposal. Yes, and they're not going to get anything else, you know. They're going to be on strict diet, nothing to eat at all. Do you think that's wise? I yes, do, I yes. yes. I, I think you're, so. you're glad to be soft, you know, Molly. No, I I'm, no I've been preparing what I call Grosvenor's meal. I've been following dogs around London and seeing where they bury their biscuits. And then when they've gone, I dig a biscuit up, you see, and uh, I got, look at my finger, look, I got bitten here twice, because two dogs that I thought, well, I'm pretty good, all dogs like that, they come back together. Well, you, you know, and it took better. me by surprise. I was outnumbered, of course. You don't want to I don't mind one picking these. I can certainly get rid of them. But when they come back in droves... No, we don't want to give them meal. If we're going to give them well, no, we I'll... give them salad. No, oh, well, I've got the dog biscuits under the tap now, softening up. Oh, all See? right. Well, salad, have you got any idea about that? Yes, I've been in the park, got laurel. It's perfectly easy, no danger at all. Laurel, rosemary, basil. What happened uh, to basil? Oh, he ran away, you know. Did he? Yeah, With rosemary? Night. Yes. Yes. But terrible dust up, you know. Oh, yes, I haven't seen them. I was Sherville was one of the people can say, you know. Well, well, he, yes, from I do, I do remember. Oh, being after it was. Basil should be out any day now. Uh, three, yes, I think it would be. About any day. Yes. Well, oh, there's another person to consider then when yes. he comes 
out. Exactly, yes. Splitting yeah. five ways. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Terrible. Now, look, um, have you got the tools for the people if they come? Yes, I mean? I've got the spade, cement, hods, all the usual thing, you know, right. for therapy. You don't think we ought to have them sterilised? No, if they can't survive this, they won't survive anything. Yeah, quite right. Oh, there's the whole uh, point. Have you got your meals organised? Because I know if you don't get your meals organised, you're a different man. You know me uh, well enough. Okay. I am. I, I don't. You see, I'm still waiting for breakfast for yesterday. You are. Yeah, I've you got look, nothing on under this. Of, I've got nothing on under the camel hair coat. No, you look blue. You look sort oh, of. I do. I don't I know. Feel you, blue, you're, you're not yourself at all. I am not know. myself. No. And your bl brain is. Fuzzy, I know that you or... say that I make a god of my stomach. That is not true. No. I just make a god of survival. I want to stay alive. I want to reap the benefits of all these oats that I have sowed everywhere. Exactly. Well, I have. You will. I'm sorry, uh, get emotional. Well, you know, uh, what are you having for lunch? Fish and chips. Don't mention fish. You know that I've got an allegory for them. I can't... Don't talk about fish. What do you mean? Why? I don't like talking about that. fish. It's yes, come on Saturday, isn't it? Even no. oysters, shrimp. No, don't, please don't. Don't do it, will you? I haven't got the energy to be angry with you properly. I can't lose my temper now. It's oh, bad, bad for me. Things like uh, winkles. Don't. Please, don't do it. I don't well, know get up. On. What's that car coming in there? The car coming in there. Yeah. Parking. Do you think it's a, a patient? I mean, we no. should put on our white coats that I got from no. the army cut thigh store. Oh, it's parking. It's, yeah, and there's another one coming there parking next to it. What's that sign say there? I don't know. It wasn't up there yesterday when I we know. came and surveyed the place during the night. No, let's have a look. Come on. Uh, mu mu municipal car park. It's a car park. Well, what's a municipal? Well, that doesn't there's, matter. There's, there's three car more cars coming in. Well, what does that mean? It means it's a car park we can't build here. We'll have to go somewhere where it's open, like uh, Clapham Common. Clapham Common? No, Dudley. Dudley, what? There must be some other way. Mm. Well, they can't have made a car park out of Dixon. I don't know. I'd believe anything about either him or them. Mm. <laughs> That was a recording of In All Directions, some new diversions in search of a guide, philosopher and friend. Peter Ustinov and Peter Jones supplied the voices and some of the sound effects. They also wrote the script. The music was by the Aeolian players and the producer was Pat Dixon. That was In All Directions from January 1956. This is Barry Cryer and Radio 4 Extra's Comedy Greats as we continue our search for the funniest in the 50s. Still to come, A Life of Bliss, Take It From Here and A Goon Show. The digital station for comedy, drama and entertainment. BBC Radio 4 Extra. This is Barry Cryer, and you're listening to Comedy Greats on Radio 4 Extra. Still to come, a life of bliss, take it from here, and the Goon Show. But now let's welcome back a hugely popular comic whose weekly show at its peak drew a staggering audience of 20 million. The Al Reed Show began in 1951 catapulting the Salford sausage maker into the hearts of the nation. 
Rather than simply reeling off a list of gags like other comics, Al's approach was revolutionary. He made us laugh by simply talking about his own experiences. His pictures of life caused a riot, single-handedly conjuring up a comical ragbag of everyday northern characters. Clever wordplay and catchphrases. Right, monkey, and you'll be lucky, I'll say you'll be lucky. These were picked up and repeated in homes around the nation. It would never happen now, but the BBC wiped many of the early shows. Happily, a wise producer made and kept the acetates of many of those recorded in Manchester, and that's where we're joining him now. It's November 1955, and we can only presume the audience had to be strapped in their seats for safety when Al's songstress came on. Brace yourself for Lovely Lou. Presenting the Al Reed Show. Ladies and gentlemen, we do hope you'll stay with us for the next half hour because from here on we're turning life round just to show you the funny side. Yes, introducing us to ourselves, here he is, Al Reed. <laughs> Well, things get no better, do I say things are just as bad. <laughs> I mean, take food. We all know the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Feed the brute, that's the thing. But as you come down to breakfast in the morning and sit at the table, you've hardly time to reach over with your knife, and what do you get? I hope you know that's all the butter we've got. <laughs> That's the wife from the kitchen. Uh, how do you mean, love? Where you got that butterpot, you'd think we kept a dairy. And don't use the same knife you've just had in your egg. Too late now, wiping it on your bread. I'll start putting everything in one dish and have done with it. What with marmalade in the butter and butter in the raspberry jam? I bet this is the only house in the street that's got a tin of syrup with three peas in it. <laughs> it's all right saying it saves washing up. You didn't say that when you brought those people home to dinner and had me chasing round to borrow my mother's fish knives the one day she'd bought Haddock. <laughs> I laid the table like a banquet for you. As soon as you got them sat down, you said, you'll get nothing here you won't keep with a spoon. <laughs> well, it was only a joke. It was no joke for me. Don't think you realise what I spend on food at this house. I paid eight and four and eight the other day for two chops. <laughs> I put them on the table and before I could tell you one was mine, you'd flooded them with sauce. <laughs> then to top it all, you went and ate the middle out of both of them and pushed your plate away and whistled for the dog. See, for goodness sake, get your face out of that paper. When you're finished trying to find your mouth with your teacup, it's dripping all down the front of your tie. 
I'd have less to say. Wish you would. I'd have less to say. If I could rely on you coming home at meals at a proper time. Came rambling home the other night at quarter past eleven. I asked you if you'd had your tea and you said, never mind me tea, where's my dinner? <laughs> Getting that fatty with your food, not at all. Oh, yes, you are. If I cook it, you don't want it. If you want it, I can't get it. If I get it, you won't eat it. And if you do eat it, you say, I can't cook it. <laughs> I can't weigh you up at all. You see, there's that wedding breakfast we went to. You cracked on, you'd never tasted beef like it. Then the day after, I found all the fat in your handkerchief. <laughs> it was just as bad when you tried that stunt for dieting. Nothing but bananas and milk for a month. You tried it for one day. Then you had me up at three o'clock in the morning cooking chips. <laughs> I'll start. Now, that's enough. Well, I... Have you finished? Well, I... Have you done? Well, I... Oh, go to... <laughs> I say... What? You've not kissed me. <laughs> Don't they make a fuss? All over a simple thing like a meal. And there's no need for it. Nowadays, the modern way to eat is to get all your meals in a self-service cafeteria. As you slide your tray along the chromium rails, past the long line of food, you can choose what you like and be tucking into it in a matter of seconds. <laughs> Have you had some? You're not expecting to get served, are you? Well, it'll be hard lines if I don't. It'll be a miracle if you do. You're going the wrong way round for a start. <laughs> Well, uh, I only want a quick lunch. I wouldn't depend on it. <laughs> By the time your turn comes, you'll want bed and breakfast. <laughs> You've only got to look at that postman arguing with that girl at the cash desk. I bet he's not moved ten yards in three quarters of an hour. He's had pie and chips on and off his tray till he's dizzy. <laughs> They've palmed him off with a sweet he doesn't want. And I know for a fact he's only come to deliver a parcel. <laughs> Well, it's worth waiting if the food's good. Are you bothered with wind? No, you will be. <laughs> I'll swear they make that cottage pie with bricks and mortar. <laughs> well, I see there's treacle pudding on the menu. I'm not surprised. They slop that food about here wherever it lands. <laughs> and hey, don't let anybody see you looking at that menu. They'll laugh at you. They've had the pencil through that roast lamb that often, the machine that prints it crosses it off at the same time. <laughs> You'll find a line through anything the staff keep back for their dinner. Well, it doesn't say the steak pies off, no. It doesn't say the cream puffs on, but you've got it all down this sleeve. Of course, your worry is not what to have, it's where to sit when you've got it. They burn your fingers when they give you a plate, and by the time you've found the table, it's that cold, you've got to warm it up on top of your tea. <laughs> and the way these women come round, whipping the pots away, put you off your stroke. I only spread my meal on the table and wait to hang me out up. When I turned round, she'd scraped it all into a tin and said, What's up? Didn't you like it? <laughs> Hello, we're moving. Have you got your knife and fork? No, what shall I do? Well, there's only one thing you can do. You'll have to go round again. 
pleasure to introduce a really charming young lady with a wonderful voice. Ladies and gentlemen, Louise Trail. Malaga, when our lips first met, to the beat of the castanet, now I pray to the skies above, bring him back, please bring back my love. Love like us must learn to play, play a waiting game and live just for the Thank you, Louise. That was really delightful. But don't go away because here and now we're taking the lid off the joys of motoring. Excuse me, is this right for Skivington? Eh? Skivington. Skivington, you're going miles out. You'll have to turn round, or better still, to save your turning round, nip up here and take the first to the left, go straight up that road as far as you can go. Then, when you get to the top, turn left, turn right, turn right again, and turn that radio off. <laughs> Can't even myself speak. Now... Follow the tram lines down a very steep hill until you come to where they've got the road up. 
When you get as far as some audience where it shows two girls in sweaters and says it's better with mustard, <laughs> you'll know you're on the wrong road. <laughs> turn round, take the first on the right, then turn sharp left up a narrow lane. You can't miss it, it says no through road. <laughs> That'll bring you out on the canal bank. Now, go over the second bridge... Now, you'll have to go straight up that, about a mile, up a very bad road. When you come to a brick wall, go straight on. <laughs> and it'll bring you right opposite to where we're standing now. <laughs> then I should ask again. <laughs> Here, uh, this fellow will tell you. Hey, I say, I say, I say, I say! I don't think he knows where he is. <laughs> anyway, you go back the way you've come. Half right and right again where it says keep left. Now, <laughs> carry on till you come to a pub in the middle of the road. Now, what's the name of it? Uh, what's the name of it? Uh, I've had it on the tip of my tongue all day. Uh, I'll ask this fella. What's the name of that pub on the way to Skivington? With the horse trough on the side. Is it the golden ball? No, 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 golden ball, no. You know the one where we have that rain tub outside and they found some beer in the water. <laughs> oh, the, uh, the anglers are... No, is it? No. <laughs> you can get bed and breakfast and they keep changing the barmaids. <laughs> The fleece, is it? No, no, fleece. <laughs> Where they have that case of stuffed pigeons and they serve lunches. <laughs> Landlord breeds Scots terriers and the only he drinks Irish whiskey. <laughs> Been there for donkeys yet. Oh, you, you want the old cock? No, I want the name of the pub. <laughs> anyway, forget it. When he gets there, he can go in and ask. What, uh, what part, uh, what part of Skivinder did you want? The town centre. Town centre. Well, I wish you'd have told me. This is it. <laughs> Mind you, before you can roam the highways and byways, you must learn to drive. And the only way is to take lessons from an expert instructor at any school of motoring. Sooner or later, you must venture into the thick of the traffic. And what an ordeal this can be for the instructor when he realises that his life is in your hands. Now, steady. You're coming to a very busy crossing. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. No, slow down. Slow down. Now you're out. Now you break. 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 You'll have to get those three pedals sorted out. Yes. Now pull around the other side of the bus. Pull round the other side. No, the other side of the bus. Now put your arm out. Put your arm out. No, not across me, your other arm. <laughs> See, you won't get your arm out till you put your window down. Now hurry up. <laughs> don't stall it here, you'll not make it. Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Now don't stall it, whatever you do. Now put her in second. In second, second, you're in neutral. <laughs> no use pressing your accelerator. Mind this fellow with the handcart. Hello, hello. <laughs> What's this bread band? What's it, bread band? Now where's he going with that? Now then, bam, bam. Watch him. Watch him. He's turning right in front. 
altogether your fault. <laughs> now let this car come past. Wave her on out of the way. Wave her on out of the way. So woman driver, you never know. <laughs> now steady at the bottom of this. Steady at the bottom of this hill. Steady. This is a nasty one. The lights are against you. No, they're against you. Against you. The lights are at red. Pull up. They're at red. Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Now slide in behind this lorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. See, you don't need to get your bonnet right under its tailboard. <laughs> See where we are now. See, he only has to reverse, that is, break off and come back. Look out! Look out! Hey up! Blow it off! Blow it off! Reverse! Reverse! Get out of his way! Get out! Oh, never mind him at the back. It's every man for himself. <laughs> Luke! Luke! Luke. Pull her into the side and let's have a cigarette. <laughs> now let's go back to the first lesson, learning to turn round. Now let me get out first. <laughs> now then, left hand down, left hand. Get your left hand right down, left hand. No, your left hand, left hand. No, your left hand. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look, when I say left hand, I mean left hand facing me. Is that clear? <laughs> now we'll start again. Now you'll, you'll have to come forward on your other lock. No, your other lock. Your other lock. Your other lock. You're on the pavement. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Look, if you're trying to turn it over, I'll bring you block and tackle. <laughs> you'll have to go back. Oh, go back. Go on a mile. Go on, go on, go on. Go on. See, don't keep watching that side. I'll watch that. If it'll help you at all, shut your eyes. <laughs> now come forward as you are. Hard over. Forward. Forward, I said. You know, you're not helping me at all. Are you sure you wouldn't be better off learning the violin? <laughs> Look, perhaps it's me. Perhaps I'm putting you off. Now, just do whatever you think's right. Go on, just do whatever's right. Now, watch him fetch a brush. <laughs> but no matter what difficulties you get into on the road, the great thrill of owning a motor car is being able to put your foot down and passing everything on the road until one car passes you with a sign on the back which says, Stop Police. <laughs> what an embarrassing moment this can be. Uh, now then, Mr... Uh, <laughs> Uh, const constable, off officer, inspector, officer. <laughs> and how does how does this weather suit you? Uh, <laughs> Honey, uh, I bet you can batter ball on a bit in that, can't you? <laughs> that is the two carburetor job, isn't it, Mister? Honey, <laughs> uh, funny thing, I was nearly christened Gonzales. <laughs> 
Honey, I was just telling my friend the steady 25 and you get there just as quick in the end. <laughs> Honey, uh, I mean, uh, if you're uh, worried about me back number plate, it's in the boot. <laughs> <laughs> could I, uh, could I have your autograph, Mr... <laughs> Honey, I mean, uh, I'd have pulled up sooner, only I'm not too sure of my brakes, honey. Uh, <laughs> but of course, uh, with it not being my car. <laughs> honey, I'd, uh, I'd give you a toffee, honey, I have none. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to boot me, aren't you? <laughs> Of course, uh, mind you, it's worthwhile owning a car if it's only for the children. What happier scene than a car full off on a family picnic? Can we have this with? No, you can't. <laughs> and stop fiddling with that door, you'll have him out. <laughs> He's jumping on the seat again. Sit down. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, a lot of you. I've been up since half past four this morning cutting sandwiches and I don't damn well want to go now. <laughs> Will you pull up? He wants to whisper something. <laughs> Of course, no matter what difficulties you get into on the road, you can obtain immediate help merely by telephoning from an AA or REC box at any hour of the day or night. Hello? Hello? Are you the AA man? Well, I think you know me. You saluted me on the way to Blackpool. <laughs> Only, I didn't see you until you'd gone past and it was too late to do anything about it. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, as long as you didn't think I was being rude. <laughs> well, it was the wife who saw you. She's here with me now. Only if it'll make things right next time I see you, I'll present arms. <laughs> just a minute. Just, just a minute. He wants my name and address. Shall I tell him I'm living with your mother, only we don't want him round there. You know what she is. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Can you come and get us? Only we've read your book where it says you'll tow us to hotel. Only she fancies that one in Bognor Regis. <laughs> Trouble? Oh, there's no trouble. In fact, we're looking forward to it. Oh, the car. It's 1927, August. Only it never has run far. I mean, we have our own tow rope. Well, we've always been towed before because I know because that's why the RAC threw us out. Just a minute. Just a minute. He says, have we got a membership card? Here, what was that club we joined to get that goose at Christmas? 
We're not tipping that up. Do you think it'll do if I tell him your mother's in the tockey? Hello? Well, I hope you can do something quick because her mother's sat in the back. Only we've drained her off and jacked her up and she won't get out. And... Hello? Hello? Yes, I know you've got a breakdown truck out already. He's with us now. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, that's what I'm ringing you for. Can you send another one? We've towed this one as far as we can. <laughs> of course, the one thing about a motor car you can be sure about is that you never know when it's going to go wrong. The only way to put it right, of course, is to take it to a garage. Take this typical scene at a repair shop. Hey, hey there. You with the job back and side. <laughs> He'll never throw a crumb to you. <laughs> hey there. Hey, hey, dummy, dummy. Any more tea in that jug? We've got these two vans to start yet. Oh, we're not finishing those tonight. We'll go home in that Rolls Royce coupe. <laughs> hey, there. She'll never make a fool of me. Ray Gidden. Hey, Jimmy. Have you had my three-eighths van there? Well, it's gone somewhere. It's not in me too, Bob. <laughs> I've searched every inch of this van. It's not there. No, there's only one place it can be. Well, I'm not taking his engine now just to find that. <laughs> of course, there's nothing like a motor car for making new friends. Take this typical conversation between two girls. So, uh, like I said... <laughs> There was, a, there was a right crowd of them just come out of this dance. I could tell one of them had a car because I heard him say it won't take me long to warm her up. <laughs> so, um, no, I could see they were out for some fun and this fella... Oh, he was a lovely fella. He came up straight away. No, straight away he came up and he put his arm round me, called me gorgeous. Oh, and he was strong. <laughs> I said, here, I said, watch where you've got your arm, you're squashing all my spot prizes. <laughs> I thought, yes. I thought, yes. You'll take a bit of watching in the pally glide. Anyway, he said, uh... No, no, he said, anyway, he said, uh... He said, uh, come on, kid, me, kid, me, kid. <laughs> He said, uh, come on, kid. He said, I'm running you home in my car. Then he tried to lift me. He tried to lift me. Oh, and he was strong. <laughs> I said, uh, I said, get off your daft thing. I said, there's people looking. <laughs> no, he said, uh, no, he said, I, he said, I wasn't kidding about the car. He said, uh, he said, oh, he said, you don't need to worry. He said, I'm taking you straight to your house. Well, I was terrified. I was terrified. 
for the first two miles I thought he was going to until he passed it. <laughs> anyway, uh, he pulled up under some trees. He said, uh, he said, we're all right here. He said, I've put the lights out. I thought, yes. And if you move any closer, I'll put yours out. <laughs> he said, He said, uh, I don't suppose you believe me, but my name's Napoleon. I said, well, I said, I'm not Josephine, but not tonight, just the same. <laughs> anyway, I, I, uh, I got out and started running. Well, I thought he was never going to catch me up. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, don't get alarmed. He said, but we've run out of petrol. I thought, here it comes, here it comes. <laughs> I wonder what he's trying now. So uh, it was only, no, it was only when he stuck it in at me and said, get two gallons. I realized he was telling the truth. <laughs> Lives that way today you're feeling happy but tomorrow joy may turn to strife one thing i found out there's nothing you can do about it Past 30 minutes, we've been looking at life through the pages of the Al Reed Show. Al asks us to say how nice it's been sharing the fun with the Silver Tones, Alan Ainsworth and the augmented BBC Northern Variety Orchestra, and to thank Louise Trail for coming along and making it all worthwhile. The programme, which was recorded, was produced in the north of England by Ronnie Taylor. A classic episode of the Al Reed Show from November 1955. Still to come, take it from here and The Goon Show. BBC Radio 4 Extra. This is Barry Cryer and you're listening to Comedy Greats on Radio 4 Extra. And we've reached the halfway point in our 1950s fun fest. While Take It From Here and The Goon Show are still getting a spit and polish, it's now time for A Life of Bliss. This was a gently funny sitcom about the ups and downs of a shy bachelor, David Alexander Bliss. It first hit the airwaves in 1952 with David Tomlinson in the lead role. However, he was soon replaced by the very young Arthur Daly himself, George Cole. Mind you... He wasn't dropping his H's then, as you'll be hearing terribly soon. David Bliss was a bit slow on the uptake, always put his foot in it, and spent a fair bit of time chatting to his cunning canine, Psyche. She was voiced with a touch of laryngitis, we feel, by animal impersonator Percy Edwards, later, and you heard it here first, to become the sound of the alien in that film. David had a variety of crushes and girlfriends through the run, and as we join him in 1954, he's got the hots for a fellow dog walker, played by young Petula Clark. Let's see if he manages to get downtown. The BBC presents A Life of Bliss. 
being another episode in the life of David Alexander Bliss, better known to us as George Cole. Helping him to tell the story are Diana Churchill, Colin Gordon, Gladys Young, Petula Clark, Gladys Henson, Ernest Jay, Percy Edwards, Ruth Trouncer, Elsa Palmer, and the BBC Variety Orchestra, conducted by Paul Fenollet. Although terribly shy and still a bachelor, David Bliss feels lost without a girlfriend, just as his daily help, Mrs. Griffin, would feel lost without a chat to her next-door neighbour. Has your Mr. Bliss found himself another girlfriend yet? Good gracious, no. Not that he's looking for one, really. He's just waiting and hoping. He's got to hope. Pretty girls don't go on trees. It wouldn't make no difference to him if they did. After all, you know what he's like. What do you mean? He'd be too scared to pick one and end up with a windfall. <laughs> and so over to his flat to meet the man himself, David Alexander Bliss. There we are, home again. <laughs> go on then, in you go. I thought I heard the door. Oh, hello, Mrs. Griffin. We, we've been for a walk in the park. Whatever's come over you, you've been out early every morning this week. Oh, I, I always take Psyche for a walk before I go to the office. Of course you don't. I do, you know. You don't? I do. <laughs> you keep out of this. <laughs> there you are. You see, she knows I'm right. Well, I, I always mean to go out anyway. Waking up's my trouble. My trouble's waking up my old man. Honestly, our married life's one long row. It's nothing but trouble morning and night. Well, why morning and night? Getting him up to go to work and waking him up to go to bed. <laughs> well, I can't see how your life can be one long row, then. Well, it is. But he's asleep most of the time. Yes, and you should hear the row. <laughs> Mind you, it's always the same. When you're caught in, he's so much in love he can't sleep. And you think he's the man of your dreams. And afterwards? Marriage opens your eyes and closes his. <laughs> well, I'm jolly glad I'm a bachelor. I was only joking. I know you were, really. It's time you find yourself a wife. Well, I don't see why. I sleep like a top. <laughs> it's a mistake to leave it too late. Why is it? A young bachelor marries his choice. An old bachelor marries his housekeeper. Well, I've got plenty of time yet. Yes, of course you have. I suppose you haven't found yourself a young lady. No. No, I'm afraid not. There's only one thing for it. You'll have to fall back on one of your old flames. Oh, no. No, look, we, we've been through this before. Through what? Old flames are out. I mean... It'd be better than not having a young lady. Oh, no, no, not for me, it wouldn't. Why? Well, I'm just not interested in old ladies. They in old flames. <laughs> Besides, the, the right person will come along sooner or later. I, I'm in no hurry. Neither she, by the look of it. You might not meet her for ages. Oh, I might have met her already, for all you know. For all I know, come to that. That's the awful thing. What on earth are you talking about? It's all a matter of fate. I mean, you, you know that somewhere in the world there's somebody who's absolutely right for you. But you can't be sure when you'll meet her. Or how, or where, or anything. On the other hand, you, you might meet her and then... Well, never see her again. What's she like? Who? The girl you met in the park, Monday. <laughs> oh, how on earth did you know? You've been out early every morning this week Besides, you're as good as told me Was it love at first sight? First and last I haven't seen her again <laughs> I doubt if I ever will Oh, you never know Did you speak to her? Only for a second oh, she, she, she was so wonderfully gay Even her eyes seemed to be dancing In step, I hope Oh, no, but... <laughs> Seriously, she, she was. Blonde or brunette? Well, auburn. Short or tall? Just right. Nice figure. 
Oh, yes, I suppose so. You're not sure? Well, of course I'm sure, only... Well, I... I didn't notice all that much. A bit on the skinny side, eh? Well, I say, steady on. <laughs> what was she doing in the park? Oh, taking her dog for a walk. <laughs> What's the matter with her? Love at first sight. <laughs> oh, well, I must be on my way. I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, all right. Have a nice time tonight. Tonight? You're going round to your sister's. Oh, oh yes, so I am. I don't know what you'd do without them now you haven't got a young lady. I know. Still, never mind. Something's bound to turn up before long. Something or somebody? Ah, uh, when my somebody turns up, she'll really be something. I wonder if I will see her again. Anne? Who's that? Oh, it's all right. It's only me. Oh, hello, Poppet. How did you get in? Oh, Tony gave me his key. Leave the door, then. Uh, he's just putting the car away for the night. I've just been putting the children away. Well, it sounds as if you murdered them. Believe me, it was touch and go with Carol. Oh, there's Tony now. Darling. Yes? Will you go and kiss Carol goodnight? Oh, all right. Oh, and Tony. What? Alexander's asleep, so don't make a noise. Oh, no, I've had a hard day's work. That's what I mean. Take it quietly. <laughs> I've never known a baby cry less than Alexander. <laughs> I've never known a baby cry louder. Well, I've never heard him. Well, no, you wouldn't where you live. They do say... They do say the reception's quite good three doors away. <laughs> you know, it's time you settled down and had a family, Poppet. We must think of some nice girl for you. Oh, gosh, don't you start. I had enough of that with Mrs. Griffin. Don't worry, I wasn't serious. Well, I know you weren't. I know who'd be perfect for you. Pauline Massey. Pauline Massey? You must have met her, Helen Massey's sister. About 24, awfully pretty. She's the perfect wife for you. Will I be allowed to see her before I decide? Yes, of course. <laughs> I know. I'll give her a ring now. Oh, no, 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 please. No, no, I was only joking. Only joking about what? He's oh. terrified I'm going to marry him off to Pauline Massey. He's quite right to be terrified. It's a hobby with women. What is? Marrying people off. Now, don't be so silly. Why should we bother about other people? We have enough trouble getting ourselves married. Ah, now, that's very interesting. So you admit you had trouble in finding a husband? No. In choosing one out of the many. Oh. I'm not sure I made the right choice even now. <laughs> Women love to have a hand in arranging a marriage. Well, I can't think why we do. For the very same reasons you keep shifting the furniture around just for the fun of arranging it. Now you'll have David taking you seriously. Did you put Carol's light out? Oh, no, 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 no. She wants a drink of water. All right, I'll see to it. You sit down. You must be tired. Yes, I am, rather. I've had a pretty tired. Where's my chair? Over there. What are you doing over there? I had to arrange something, and I haven't arranged a marriage in months. <laughs> have, you, uh, have you ever met her, Tony? Who, Pauline Massey? Uh, mm. Once or twice. Well, what, what, what's she like? I can't remember her clearly, so she's obviously not attractive, not to me anyway. You may disagree when you meet her. Mm. If I ever do. Oh, you'll meet her all right, Anne will arrange that. Well, she wasn't serious. <laughs> no, no not, not, not that there'd be any harm in just meeting her. Oh, my dear chap, famous last words. <laughs> oh, gracious, Tony, but she, she, she can't marry me without my consent. After all, Anne's my sister. I mean, she, she wouldn't want me to marry unless I was going to be happy. My dear fellow, women don't tackle it from that angle at all. You, you've only got to listen to them talking at a wedding to know that. They don't say, I think she'll make him awfully happy. No? No. They say, I think she'll be awfully good for him. <laughs> what, 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 what would you do if you were me? I'd stop it before it started. By saying she wasn't my type. Oh, how, how, how can I say that when I haven't met her? Well, pretend you have. I told Anne I hadn't. Well, well, you suddenly remembered you have met her after all. 
Well, I suppose I could say that. Yeah. But mind you, I still think that... Now, perhaps I can sit down for a few seconds. Ah, what were we talking about? I have met her, actually. Met? Met who? Pauline Massey. Have you? Yes, I suddenly remembered. When? Just now. When did you meet her? Oh, sorry, no, I, I don't remember exactly. Where? I, I don't remember that either. I've got a shocking memory. It wasn't here, was it? Uh, yes, yeah, yes, of course it was. I don't remember. Well, it must run in the family. <laughs> anyway, did you like her? Oh, she, she, she's not really my type. Not your type? Well, no. Why not? Well, you, you, you can't explain why someone isn't your type. Well, she, she just isn't, that's all. So, so you see, there, there wouldn't be any point in it. In what? In me marrying her. Uh, meeting her. And me meeting her again, I mean. You wouldn't by any chance be saying all this just... Oh, now, who on earth can that be? All right, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. I'm up now. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, you're impossible. Gosh, I, jo I, I, I jolly nearly gave myself away. Yeah. Still, e even if I did it, it must be pretty obvious I don't want to meet Pauline Massey. Pauline, darling. Pauline. <laughs> well, we all have to do things we don't want to do. <laughs> you don't think Anne planned all this, do you? I, I mean, her coming round and everything. I haven't been a best man for ages. <laughs> What on earth do I say now? I mean, I, I'm supposed to have met her. Stick to your story. She'll think she's got a bad memory. In here, it's Pauline Massey, darling. Hello there. Hello. This is my brother, David. I, I, I think we've met, actually. Uh, yes, we have. We have? <laughs> <laughs> when? Oh, I, I mean, I can't remember exactly where, where, when it was. At my sister's party. Oh, oh yes, of course. Gosh, you know, that's incredible. What? Well, we have met, after all. <laughs> after, after all these years. It, it was only last month. Yeah, well, I have no idea of time. Pauline wants to use the phone, darling. Oh, right. It's in the other room. I'll show you where. Thank you. I'm sorry to do this, but it happens to be awfully important. Honestly, Anne, I'm surprised that you are arranging for her to come round like this. I haven't the faintest idea she was coming. Oh, you'll never convince me it was just a coincidence. Do you know who she's phoning? Her fiancé. Her fiancé? That's why she came round to tell me the glad news. I'm convinced. You know, you shouldn't listen to Tony, you know. All that nonsense about marrying people off, I'm not a bit like that. Well, I'm sure you're not, really. I say, fancy her getting engaged. Yes, I know. We'll have to find somebody else for you. I don't... <laughs> I don't want anybody else. Well, well at least I, I do, only when I... What? The right person will come along sooner or later. There we are. Home again. <laughs> Go on, then. In you go. I thought I heard the door. Oh, hello, Mrs. Griffin. We, we, we've been for a walk in the park. Any luck? No. Oh, dear, that's nearly a fortnight now. I should give it up as a bad job. I mean, you can't spend the rest of your life looking for her. Oh, I don't know. It's a jolly healthy life. <laughs> oh, gracious, who can that be at this time in the morning? Oh, oh all right. I'll go. I must get on. Oh, t t t take Psyche with you. Yes, all right. Okay, coming. Oh, hello, Tony. How am I? What brings you out so early? I've got some bad news for you. Huh? Anne and your mother have joined forces and found you another girlfriend. Oh, gosh. Who, who, who is it this time? Oh, Penny Day or Gay. Something like that, anyway. You know her? No, but your mother practically admitted she was very dull. Not in those words, of course. Oh, why? What, 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 did, what did she say? Very suitable. <laughs> uh, be, be, <laughs> David, uh, you doing anything on Sunday? Well, I can't think of anything offhand. I should think pretty quick, then. That's when you're going to meet her. <laughs> Where? Down at your mother's. No, no, look, this, this is ridiculous. 
I, I shall just say I, I don't want to meet her. You can't say that. You're not supposed to know she's going to be there. I, I, I just don't believe it. I mean, they wouldn't play a trick like that on me. They would, you know, and without the slightest twinge of conscience. Women always have the perfect excuse. What's that? It's for your own good. <laughs> if you'll take my advice, you'll play safe and say you've been invited away for the weekend. Well, I think perhaps I will. Uh, well, it's jolly nice of you to warn me, Tony. Oh, my dear chap. Besides, it isn't entirely unselfish. If you get out of it, we probably won't have to go. Well, don't you want to? Well, I just don't want it to become too much of a habit. Oh, I'm very fond of your old man, of course, but, well, we just don't speak the same language. He talks about horses and shooting and fishing. Uh, oh, bless his old heart, he can be a bit of a boy, you know. <laughs> He's the only man I know who can tell you about the one that got away and still not see the joke. <laughs> Look, if that's Anne, for heaven's sake, don't say I'm here. She'd guess in a second. Oh, uh, right. Hello? Oh, hello, Poppet. Anne. Oh, hello, Anne. Are you rushing off to the office? Oh, not, not, not for a second. I don't know what was the matter with Tony this morning. He went off terribly early. I know. You know? No, I know how busy he is. I, I'll have to go fairly soon, actually. All oh, right, I won't keep you then. Now, are you doing anything on Sunday? Oh, well, yes. I, I've been invited away for the weekend. Oh, have you? Who by? Who by? Yes. Oh. Oh, now, for goodness sake, David, you must remember who you're staying with. Yes, I, I know. I'll think of someone in a minute. Um... <laughs> Um, uh, uh, Eric Holmes. I see. I'd love to have come otherwise. Come where? Down to Mother's. <laughs> Who said anything about going down to Mother's? Well, you did. I didn't. I wonder where I got it from, then. There were only three people, you know. Mother and I and Tony. It certainly wasn't me, and it can't have been Mother. Why? She asked me to ring you. Oh, did she? Yes, yeah, she did. Oh, well, that's thinned it out a bit. <laughs> Oh, now, don't be silly, David. You might just as well admit it was Tony. Oh, I, 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 I could have guessed, you know. After all, we, we go down there fairly often. That's true. I'm afraid Mother will be awfully disappointed still. I'll explain for you. Well, thank you. Look, look, I, I must go now, Anne. Yes, all right. Oh, David. Yes? Put Tony on for a second. Yes, of course. Hold up. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I, I thought as much. Oh, dear. So he came round to warn you. Well, no, no, he, he what, he... Uh, sh shall I put him on? No. I'll speak to him later. I couldn't be more angry, David. Well, I'm sorry, but I... I'll see you on Sunday. I... Goodbye. Oh, gosh. Of all the blithering idiots. I couldn't be more angry, David. <laughs> Out of the kindness of my heart, I come round here to warn you, and all you do is to land me in trouble. Sorry. I should think so, too. I'd better go before I say something I'll regret. I'll say this, though. If you can't cope better than that, you deserve anything you get. Even a wife. Oh, dear. Who was that? Your brother-in-law? Yes. What's the matter? You look as if you'd lost something. On the contrary, I've got something I don't want. Mother's found me a girlfriend. Oh, I am pleased. But I, I don't want anybody to find my girlfriends for me. I'll find my own. Oh, I'll believe that when I see her. <laughs> Hello, Father. Hello, David. Come along in. I'm just telling Tony about a fish that got away the other afternoon. <laughs> Why? What, what, what happened? Oh, I won't bore you with it. It's a long story. About that long. Longer than that. Where, 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 where is everybody? Well, and your mother are getting the tea ready, I think. 
Well, what, what, what time's Penny Gay coming? Any min minute now. I expect. Oh, do, do, do you know her father? No, I've known her since she was no bigger than that. Used to bounce her on my knee. Haven't seen her lately, though. One of the ones that got away. <laughs> well, what's, um, what, what, what's she like now? Oh, she's a pretty little thing. Your mother thinks a lot of her. She's always saying she'll make her somebody a good wife. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> Tony's right. You don't want to let mother choose your wife for you. Women haven't the foggiest notion what men find attractive. Oh, I, I thought you said she was pretty. Well, being pretty is not enough. A girl's got to have that, that spark, that fire, that... Oh, you can't put it into words, really. No, you need exclamation marks. That indefinable something that makes the old heart thump. Yes, and the old eyes pop. <laughs> oh, doesn't, doesn't a pretty girl do all that? Bless my heart, David. A pretty woman's like, well, like a beautiful meal. It's nice to have all the trimmings, but it's still no good if it's cold. <laughs> Far better to, to settle for something plain but hot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, or, or, or a continental dish. What? <laughs> no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I am surprised at you. <laughs> Well, for agreeing. Well, of course I agree. I mean, there's nothing worse than cold food. <laughs> David, old boy, we were talking about women. Yes, I know, but then you started talking about food. <laughs> you, you said you liked it hot. Yeah. <laughs> hot meaning, well, uh... <whistles> <laughs> Gosh, I see. No, but seriously, though, there's nothing worse than cold food. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on second thoughts, perhaps it's a good idea to let Mother find your wife. Why? Well, she's bound to choose a good cook. Well, I wish to goodness I'd got a girlfriend. It's caused nothing but trouble. Trouble with Anne, trouble with Tony. Oh, that's all over and forgotten. Yes, I know, but I still feel guilty about it. Yeah. Oh, after all, it's my fault you had to come down here. Had to come? <laughs> I had to come down here and, and, and make polite conversation to Penny and... Instead of chatting to you. Oh, well, of course, if it's causing all that trouble, and I do see your point, why not invent a girlfriend? Well, how do you mean? Well, say you found one after all. That'd keep Anne and Mother at bay. Gosh, you know, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Oh, but then I'd have told Anne about her when she suggested meeting Penny. Oh, but that was three or four days ago. Anything could have happened since then. Yes, well, wait a minute. You'll need to have a pretty complete picture of her, though. Yes, I know. Now, what sort of girl would she be? Now, let's think. Well, it's no good you or me thinking. Let uh, David uh, think. Uh, blonde or brunette, David? Well, Auburn, really. Uh, tall or short? Just right. Age? About 20, I should think. Eyes, brown. Complexion, beautiful. With a, a, a wonderfully gay personality. Uh, a nice figure to round it off, eh? <laughs> well, yes. Yes, jo jo jolly nice. And, and not a bit skinny, either. I say, what an imagination. <laughs> no, you had it in you. Right, now, now, now we'll give her a name. And where, where's the telephone directory? What? Oh, yes, there they are. You know, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you think she's in A to D? Oh, it could be. I tell you what, I'll open it at random and that'll be it. Ready? Huh? Right, from henceforth she shall be known as... I can't read it without my glasses. What's the first one, David? African. African? <laughs> Odd name. All right, I'll have another shot. Now, there we are. Alan. What about a Christian name? Monica. I say, that was quick. Why a terrible name like Monica? Well, I don't know. It, it, it just seems to fit. Monica Allen. All right, she's your figment. My what? Figment of your imagination. 
she's not actually. She, 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 she's real. I, I saw her in the park one morning. And you let one like that get away? Why, you're worse than your father. <laughs> well, I've, I've been there every day. Oh, hello, Mother. Hello, dear. Tea'll be ready soon. Good show. What have you been talking about? Well, David's been telling us about his latest. Haven't you, David? Yeah. Uh, yeah yes. Yes, I have. Uh, latest what? A figment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> latest girlfriend. You haven't got a girlfriend. Oh, I have. I, I met her about a fortnight, four, 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 four days ago. Yeah. <laughs> she sounds a smasher. Then I probably won't approve. Why, oh, ever not. You were a smasher, you know. <laughs> Thank you, dear. And you were quite a stunner yourself. <laughs> What's her name, David? African. <laughs> Alan. M M Monica Allen. What on earth made you say African? Oh, well, she's... She bit... comes from South Africa. <laughs> oh. oh, Monica. Yes, yes, she does. Is she nice? Um, oh, w w wonderful. You wait till you see Penny. You'll think she's even more wonderful. I doubt if you will, you know. It's pretty serious, isn't it, David? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. But you've only known her a few days. Oh, it, it was love at first sight. Yes, well, I shouldn't do anything about it yet. It's a mistake to rush these things. Nonsense. We were married three weeks after we met. Yes, that's what I mean. It's a mistake. <laughs> Where did you meet her, David? In the park. In the park? Yes, I, I was out with Psyche and she was taking her dog for a walk. She, she was absolutely wonderful. When are you seeing her again? I doubt if I ever will. If I ever will meet anyone. I could love as much. You sure? I'm oh, pretty sure. David, my dear, how exciting. I couldn't be more pleased. <laughs> oh, uh, hello, then. What's she so excited about? Oh, I have the vaguest idea. Psyche. In here. Here's Penny, Mother. Oh, hello, dear. I oh, didn't gosh. hear the door. No, it was open. I saw Anne in the garden. I'll go and make the tea. Thank you, dear. Uh, you know Father, of course. Oh, yes. Hello. hello. Anne's husband, Tony. How, How do you do? Uh, and my son, David. How do you do? Uh, how do you do? <laughs> I'm sure you won't remember, but we have met. Yes, in the park about a fortnight ago. Gosh, you do remember. You must spend your life in the park, David. <laughs> well, I, I have recently. I, I haven't seen you there, though. Well, no, I, I always mean to take Tug out, but I never wake up. What sort of dog have you got, Penny? Well, he's a wire-haired terrier, too. Yes, I know. You, you didn't bring him. No, he's at home. <laughs> Psyche, Psyche hasn't looked at another dog since. I don't believe it. Well, it's true. Come to that, neither have I. What? Looked at another dog. <laughs> Looked at another girl since. Uh, since you met Monica. No, no, since I met... Oh, yes. <laughs> since I met Monica. Uh, David's got the most exciting news. He's getting engaged. Oh, no, 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 look, I, 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 I didn't say that. Oh, uh, you did, David. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, anyway. I mean, not now. I mean, not till I'm absolutely sure. But you said you were sure. Oh, but it's it, it, a mistake to, to rush these things. Nonsense. Your father and I were married three weeks after we met. Yes, I know, but, well, I, I mean, I, I might meet someone I, I liked even more. Now, you said you never would. Did I? Yes. Well, I've been talking too much. <laughs> I mean, oh, for goodness sake, David. Penny will wonder what's the matter with you. David's always been so terribly shy. No, it, it isn't that, really. Of course it is. Uh, before Penny came, it was nothing but Monica. You know that's true. Yes, it's true. I must say, I'm not awfully fond of the name Monica. Well, neither am I. I can't think why I chose it. Oh, why <laughs> parents chose it. Well, mind you, they, they do go together quite well. Monica Allen. Monica Allen? Yes. I thought she was married. Who? Monica. Oh, good heavens. What? Well, don't tell me there is one. I mean, there is one person who knows her. I went to school with her. Oh, gosh, what a coincidence. 
tea's all ready, Mother. Oh, all right. Come along, everybody. It's in the other room. Tony, what? It's her. It's the one I met in the park. Yes, so I gathered. Well, what on earth can I do? Well, there's not much you can do. You've got, you've got yourself in a real mess, haven't you? But it, 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 it was your idea. Yes, I know. And look how well it worked. <laughs> Oh, car, car, coming. Oh. Good morning, Mrs. Griffin. Sorry, I left my key behind. Oh, that, that's all right. Here, do you know what they're saying about you? What? They're saying you're going round with a married woman. <laughs> <laughs> going round with... I, I'm not going around with anyone. That's what they're saying. Well, you don't believe it. Of course I don't believe it. I know you're far too well for that. Besides, I got it from my next-door neighbour. Oh, but it, it's fantastic. She did tell me the name of the woman now, where. Uh, Monica Graham. Well, there you are. I've never even heard of... Mo Monica... Monica Allen. No, Graham. Monica Allen's that girl you used to know years ago. You know, when I first came here for, with you. Oh, gosh, no wonder it fitted. <laughs> How on earth did your next-door neighbour hear about it? From her next-door neighbour. Yes, but where did she get it from? Oh, do you really want me to go on? It's ever such a long street. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you know, it's true. Tr tr troubles never do come singly. I shouldn't worry about it if I was you. What's the matter with Psyche? She's left her breakfast. Mm, she's one of my troubles. I don't know whether she's sulking but because I haven't taken her for a walk <coughs> or whether it's love. <laughs> oh, you are daft about that dog. There's the front door now. No, all right, all right. I'll go. Oh, hello, Mother. I didn't know you were coming up today. Anne and I are going shopping. Well, jolly early. Yes, I know. I wanted to catch you before you left for the office. Why? I was wondering if you'd like to have lunch with us. Well, it's jolly nice of you. Uh, you and your fiancé. My fiancé? Mm. Oh, Monica? Monica. Oh, oh, no, I'm afraid Monica can't come. She, she's um, having lunch with somebody else. Well, how about tea, then? She's booked up all day. Oh, oh, dear, what a shame. Still, never mind. I'll be coming up again next week. I'm longing to see her, David. Yes, I'm sure you are. Father's coming up with me so we can all have lunch together. Well, I'm awfully sorry, Mother, but she, she, she's booked up that day, too. Well, we're not sure which day we're coming. <laughs> she's not sure when she's booked up. I mean... <laughs> not... Oh, excuse me. Uh, hello? Bliss? Oh, yes? Graham here. Monica Graham's husband. Oh, dear. What's this ridiculous rumour about you seeing my wife? Oh, that, 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 that's just what it is. R ridiculous. I know that, but I gather you started it. You started what? All this nonsense about her. Oh, no, no, you're wrong. Honestly, you are. I, I haven't started any nonsense with her. What? Uh, about her. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You'd better stop anyway, otherwise there'll be trouble, understand? Well, I'm terribly sorry, but I... I, I sh oh, gosh, she's gone. Oh, sorry, Mother, what, what, what were we talking about? Uh, your fiancé. Oh, yes, of course. Who was that? Her husband. Surprised <laughs> <laughs> at you, Dave. No, look, there's nothing to it, honestly. All right, I'll go. I, I, I know what people are saying, but it's just... Just a figment of their imagination. Well, yes, that's exactly what... You know? <laughs> I've known all along, really. It's your sister. Hello, oh. Poppet. Oh, hello, Anne. Look, how long before you have to go to the office? Oh, about, about, about ten minutes. Why? If you rush, if you rush along to the park, you'll see something to your advantage. See something to my advantage. I was on the phone to Penny a few moments ago. She said she was going to take Tug for a walk. <gasps> but how, how am I going to explain to her? You don't have to explain anything. It's all been arranged. What? By you? You know what we women are. Oh, gosh. Thank you, Anne. Oh, c c come on, Psyche. <laughs> Bless you both.
Saiki. Oh, look, look, there, there, there she is. Oh, and, 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 and then there, there's, there's Todd. Go, go on then. Good morning. Hello. Isn't it a lovely morning? Oh, it's a perfect morning. Gosh, it's jolly nice to see you again. It's nice to see you. You know, I, I, I wouldn't dream of admitting I, I'd run after a girl, but, well, I don't mind admitting that as far as you're concerned, I... You what? I'd put in a lot of walking. You've been listening to A Life of Bliss. Those taking part were David Bliss, George Cole, Anne Fellows, Diana Churchill, Tony Fellows, Colin Gordon. Mrs. Bliss, Gladys Young, Mr. Bliss, Ernest J, Mrs. Griffin, Gladys Henson, Penny Gay, Petula Clark, Psyche the Dog, Percy Edwards, The Neighbour, Elsa Palmer, Pauline Massey, Ruth Trouncer. With the BBC Variety Orchestra, conducted by Paul Fenollet, with music scored by Bob Sharples. The script was written by Godfrey Harrison, and this recorded programme was produced by Leslie Bridgemont. And this is the Blissful Comedy Greats on Radio 4 Extra. A life of bliss there from October 1954. Still to come in half an hour, The Goon Show. BBC Radio 4 Extra. My name's Barry Cryer. Stand by for the goonful climax to our first trawl through the funniest of the 50s. Back then, the BBC made some of its biggest radio stars and they were shining brightly on Take It From Here. That was the show that introduced us to two young comedy writers, Frank Muir and Dennis Norden. They gave the show a post-war flavour all of its own, fast and funny. Though it started in 1948 as a vehicle for Jimmy Edwards, Dick Bentley and Joy Nichols, the format was constantly tweaked so that TIFH only reached its peak of popularity in the 50s. When Joy left, in came the absolutely fabulous June Whitfield. And it was a sketch about an engagement in a family that spawned the legendary glums. The utter opposite of cosy radio clans of the time, Jimmy's loudmouth Mr Glum and his brood soon became everyone's favourite bit every week. The Glums were trying to set sail for Australia in the 13th and final series after 325 programmes but they're still in Blighty as we join them in 1957, when much of the show is a flashback to how the Gorner's son Ron and his frumpy fiancée Eth first got together. For starters, though, it's nice to discover Auntie Beebe was even being thrifty with her programme budgets way back then, but no expense was ever spared on the famous opening chimes. Dick Bentley and Jimmy Edwards will be on hand for the next 30 minutes with June Whitfield, Wallace Eaton and the keynotes all inviting you to... For heaven's sake, Bentley, cheer up. Honestly, you're getting on everybody's nerves. You, you've been mooning around like, like a water diviner who's lost his twig. <laughs> What's worrying you? What's worrying me? You mean you haven't seen that bit in the paper? Which bit? Look, 
In future, one-eighth of the BBC's income from radio and television licences will go to the Treasury. No. Because of this reduction in income, the BBC are expected to make certain economies on the sound radio side. <laughs> what? They, they wouldn't touch our money, though, would they? Bentley, if they pay me any less, I, 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 I can't get by. And there's not going to be two Edwards brothers living on seawater, I can tell you that. <laughs> Jim, every programme is in danger. Haven't you heard the rumour about the archers? What? Moving them to an allotment. Oh. <laughs> it, it'll break Doris's heart. Yes. Well, the BBC have brought in this efficiency expert chap, oh, yes. and he's going round every single studio and just pairing things to the bone. I tell you, Jim, we're as good oh, as really? well. We yeah, might Mr. just... Richard, oh, here, we'll do the studio next. Oh. Jim, this is him, the efficiency bloke, the great economiser. Oh, no, no, good evening, good evening. Uh, good evening. Make a note, Miss Frobisher... Query if essential for two actors to have a script each. Oh, Query, could not paper be saved by only fat actor having script and thin actor reading over fat actor's shoulder? <laughs> Query how the heck thin actor's going to see through fat actor's moustache. Good thinking. Miss Frobisher, query possibility for economy purposes of cutting off fat actor's moustache. <laughs> query possibility of bald efficiency expert getting a smart slosh around the statistics. That's no use your blustering, sir. For your information, I have been given powers of authority which are inviolate. I don't care what colour they're in, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if you want to talk about me, it's Jim Edwards and not fat actor. Edwards? Ah, I remember that name. Yeah. Miss Frobisher? Pass me the redundancy file. Yes, as I thought, Mr. Edwards, there is a little tick next to you. Just a minute, I resent that. What <laughs> yeah. yes. that? I, uh, I believe I can place you as well. Do you happen to be Dick Bentley? I do have that honour, yes. Well, Bentley and Edwards, there's going to be a lot of changes around here. Is it necessary, for example, for Mr. Harry Rabinovitz to employ so many people in his orchestra? Yeah. It's very obvious he's carrying some dead wood. That's his baton. <laughs> and it's not wood, Mr. Clevercuts. Oh. If you must know, it's a corset whalebone. <laughs> the lady cellist can bow much more vigorously now. <laughs> I still think there are too many players. That man at the piano looks redundant to me. Oh, old Harold. <laughs> Why, he's been playing the piano for us for ages. Nine years, on and off. On and off. It's a slippery stool. <laughs> well, I'm sorry he must go. Along with the rest of you, I'm afraid. Oh, Jim, what are we going to do? Well, oh, that's not my worry. Now, I must get these recommendations over to the head of accounts immediately. Could you tell me the quickest way to the office area from here? The quickest way? Yes. Yes, yes, I can. Through that door there. Come along. Oh, just just through the door here. over here? Yes. Straight through. Goodbye. Well, that's a good job jobbed. I say, uh, thin actor. Yes, fat actor. Query cost of scraping bald efficiency expert out of disused lift shaft. <laughs> In a moment, my poor heart was stole away. A smile was all he gave to me. La, 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 la. 
But soon we were happy as could be. Immediately raised my hat and finally did remark I never shall forget the charmer that I met that happy day while strolling in the park. While strolling in the park one day, one day in the merry month of May. I was taken by surprise by a pair of roguish eyes. In a moment, my poor heart was stolen away. Away. A smile was all she gave to me. But soon we were happy as could be. Immediately raised my hat, and finally he did remark. Pardon me, uh, dear lady, do you come here often? Only in the mating season, sir. I never shall forget the charmer that I met that happy day. Was rolling in the park. Chinch, Tom, gentlemen, pretty. Oh, Mr. Glum, you look very pensive tonight. Yeah. Very quiet you've been, Mr. Glum. Yes, Ted, I've been musing. You never do nothing else. Not boozing, musing. <laughs> Thinking back, Ted. Ah. Look, you know my boy Ron. Ron? Of course you do. No, he's the one who come in wearing that white skid lid. Yes, only it ain't a skid lid. His mother was giving him an haircut and jammed the basin down to her. <laughs> well... He's got a girl, see? Huh? Eth, that's her name. Oh, yeah, them going steady. Oh, very steady, yeah. Uh, practically motionless. <laughs> Matter of fact, and this is what I was amusing of about, yeah. it happens to be exactly seven years tonight that Ron first met her. Go on. I am going on. <laughs> Pour us out another brand. Yeah, sure. Before he met her, he'd never gone out with any girl. I was his only chum, as you might say. Yeah. But that evening... Seven years ago tonight, today, see what I mean? Ron and I, we just got back home from seeing the Ava Gardner picture at the local. Well... Close the front door behind you, Ron, and, and don't make a noise. Your mother's had a bath and gone to bed. You can see the wet footprints leading from the kitchen. <laughs> Come in the parlour for a bit of a warm and we'll have a... Uh, wrong. Yes, Dad? What have you got on your head? My usual stuff, Dad. I read in the paper it's what Dennis Compton always uses. <laughs> I don't mean the linseed oil. <laughs> I mean, what's that you're wearing of? My cap, Dad. It's not your cap, Ron. Hey? Somehow or other, you have on your head a fluffy pink angora beret with a pom-pom. Pom-pom? Pom-pom. Pom-pom. Don't let's stand here sounding like a couple of Bofus guns. 
You see what's happened, can't you? You yeah. see what you've done? What? You've picked up the wrong hat in the cinema. That fluffy pink berry belonged to whoever was sitting next to you. Now, who was it? Try and remember. Dad, do you think it was a girl? <laughs> well, with that like that, I'm not suggesting it was a Seaforth Islander. <laughs> Obviously it was a girl. Oh, Dad, you mean I've been sitting next to... A girl! Now, Ron, you're trembling. Well, now, Ron, I... now, Ron. <laughs> now, stop it, Ron. Well... Oh, you are a most painfully shy boy. Oh. The mere mention of girls and the back of your neck starts glowing as red as a night watchman's brazier. <laughs> Ron, are you scared of girls? Yes, Dad. When I meet a girl, I never know what to do. I just pull me cap down over me face and hope she'll go away. <laughs> oh, Ron. I can't think of anything to say. Oh, Ron, knowing what to say is the easiest part. There's, there's hundreds of acceptable phrases. Uh, excuse me, but do you come here often? I live here, Dad. <laughs> Ron, I'm, I know where you live. I ought to know that I'm explaining the technique to you. Technique. I mean, you might say, for example, can I get you a still lemon? Or, uh, I find the company in here rather boring. Let's take a stroll in the shrubbery. You get it, Ron? No, Dad. <laughs> well, try and remember. It's important that you get over this shyness, Ron. I don't like it. Oh, How do you sorry, expect Dad. to get married and have children if you won't go near a girl? I'll think of something. <laughs> no, 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 Ron. It's, it's my duty as a father to get you started. And what's more, I believe I know how. This pink, fluffy Angora berry might be fate knocking at your door. You know why? Because of the pom-pom? <laughs> no, because a girl who goes to the cinema by herself is obviously unattached. And if she takes her hat off in the pictures, it either shows that she's not only considerate of others, but also that she's not bored. Now, uh, either way, she sounds a good spec for you. Ron, give me my bowler over. What's your bowler over, Dad? <laughs> Ron, give me over my bowler. At. Over. I'm going back to that cinema. This girl's bando left her name and address there as soon as she found out her hat was missing. If I can get you and her meeting each other... Ron, boy, our troubles are over. But, Dad... I'll go out the back door, it's quicker. But, Dad! Dad, come back. I don't want to meet any girl. Oh, please, Dad! Oh, thank goodness he heard me. Good evening. Are you the gentleman in the cinema to whom I sat next? It's a girl! <laughs> go away. <laughs> I'm all alone. <laughs> My cap? You left your cap under the seat when you went. I saw your address inside, so I... Well, I took the liberty of bringing it round. Oh. I do hope you were up. Up what? I haven't got you out of bed, I mean. Oh. Did you say I was the one who was sitting next to you? Yes. Then you must be the one who was sitting next to me. Well, yes, that's right. My dad wants to talk to you. You'd better come in. Come in? Well, well I am rather soaked. 
Perhaps I'd better just dry off a bit. Thank you. The parlour's through here. Was your dad the stout gentleman who kept blowing down his orange-aid straw during the love scenes? Yes. He must be awfully good company. Shall I, um, shall I sit on the sofa? If you like. Thank you. Excuse me, but do you come here often? Come where? I don't know. Dad didn't tell me what's next. You know, uh, I hope you don't mind my saying this, but in the pictures I could only see you profile. I, um, I thought you were much darker skinned. I'd been eating a chalk ice. <laughs> you eat a lot in the pictures, don't you? I could hear. Only mixed nuts and a chalk ice and my chewing gum and an apple during the adverts. <laughs> I like eating in the pictures too. Do you? Oh, yes, except to Bette Davis. I never tasted one of that. <laughs> What's your favourite flavour of the month? Oh, Neolopatin. That's mine, too. Is it? Yeah. Well, isn't that strange? There's me just happening to find your cap, and then it turns out we both like Neolopatin ice cream. <laughs> Sends a shiver up your spine, doesn't it? If you have enough of it. <laughs> The way I I don't believe I mentioned it. My name's Eth. Eth. How about yours? No, mine isn't. <laughs> Let's see if I can guess what your name is. Um, you look like a Charlie to me. <laughs> My name is Ron. Oh, that's nice. It's well, it's masculine, isn't it? No, it's glum. <laughs> Ron Glum. Oh, well, Ron, I mustn't miss my bus. I'm afraid I must be off. Oh no, eh? No. Stay a bit longer. Wait till Dad comes before you be off. came in to dry off from the rain. Did she? Ron, put her on the line. She won't dry that way, Dad. <laughs> no, Ron, let me talk to her. Oh, F, my dad wants to talk to you, eh? Oh, um, hello, Mr Glum. How do you do? How do you do? Mr Glum, Esquire, here. May I say how much I regret the regrettable mix-up with the respective tippers? 
We seem to have missed each other. Me being here and you being there, if I might put it so bluntly. Oh, oh not a bit. Oh, but I insist. <laughs> I wonder if you would deign my family the honour of vouchsafing a cup of tea with us tomorrow. Oh. We could straighten matters out over a hot buttered muffin. Well, that's very nice, I'm sure. Yes, I'd like to. Oh, splendid. <laughs> Shall we say four for four thirty? Four for four thirty. Four for four thirty. Well, the kitchen clock's half an hour slow, you see. <laughs> so we'll see you tomorrow then. And now, while Mr. Glum is getting his hot muffin buttered, let us listen to the keynotes. I'm gonna get along without you now. Mmm, honey, mmm, honey, gonna get along without you now. You told me I was the neatest thing. You even asked me to wear your ring. Then you ran around with every girl in town. You never cared if it got me down. Mmm, mmm, I'm gonna get along without you now. Mmm, honey, mmm, honey, gonna get along without you now. I'm gonna get along without you now My honey, my honey Gonna get along without you now You told me I was the smartest thing You even said that you'd wear my ring Then you ran around with every boy in town You never cared if it got me down I'm gonna get along without you now My honey, my honey Gonna get along without you now Along without you before I met you, gonna get along without you now. Gonna find somebody who's twice as cute, cause I didn't like you anyhow. You told everybody that we were friends, but this is where the friendship ends. All of a sudden you change your tune. You haven't been around since way last June. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get along without you now. Got along without you before I met you Gonna get along without you now So long, my honey Goodbye, my dear Gonna get along without you Come on, Ron, don't wander about. Your rich girlfriend will be here any minute now. Do help me lay this table. Yeah. Now, don't put the Dundee cake out all bare like that. Put it on one of the lace doilies. Since when have we had lace doilies, Dad? Since the moth got in your mum's handkerchiefs. <laughs> Keep telling you, Ron, this girl has got to be given tea in the style to what she's accustomed when that cinema manager told me you that had been reported lost by none other than the Miss Partington of Partington's multiple groceries, well, you could have knocked me down with a pom-pom. What's Partington's, Dad? What's Partington's? Only the biggest chain of retail groceries in the home counties. They must have at least uh, 150 branches. Oh, at least 150. Oh. We owe money at over 100 of them. <laughs> You've got the daughter fancy in you. 
What are you looking so lugubrious about? I didn't realise Eth was rich, Dad. Rich? Ron, if you play your cards right, no member of the Glum family will ever want for cocoa and mixed biscuits again. <laughs> this is a crucible moment in our futures. I just remember to behave like a... Oh, hello, this'll be a... Action stations, Ron. Open the door. Right-o, Dad. Hello, Ron. Hello, F. I, um, I didn't like to come empty-handed, so I bought a block of ice cream. Ron, it's... it's Neolopatin. Oh, yeah. Oh, flavour. And I bet I know where you got that ice cream from. Uh, a certain grocery shop? Oh, how did you know? Aha! Uh -huh. Better than paying for it, eh? <laughs> well, now... <laughs> do, uh, do just come in and divest yourself. We have met over the phone, in a manner of speaking. Oh. I'm Ronald's well-to-do father. Oh, yes. How do you do? I'm... I know who you are. Oh. May I say what a conquest you've made on my sophisticated young man about town here? Oh, dang. Oh. <laughs> Talk about smitten. I've never seen him so smart. <laughs> and here, here's me chattering on like a mud pie. Uh, you'll, you'll be hungry, won't you? Can I press a piece of cake on you? Thank you. It looks very nice. Did your wife make this? No, no, no. It's quite edible. <laughs> but uh, perhaps you prefer a muffin. Ron, remove the cover of the muffin dish, lad, like they taught you in finishing school. Do you, uh, do you like that muffin cover, miss? Solid silver. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, it is novel. They've made it to look just like a tin hat covered with aluminium paint. <laughs> yes, it is rather amusing, isn't it? But uh, no doubt you have several bits of whimsical silverware up your home. <laughs> oh, no, Mr Glum. I'm afraid we haven't any. You haven't? Oh, of course. Gold, Ron. Gold. <laughs> cool. We'll all be drinking our tea out of gold saucers. <laughs> Get in there, lad, get in there. Will you, uh, excuse me, my dear? Yes. I promised to ring up my stockbreaker. <laughs> Just you cut yourself some Dundee, dear. As thick a slice as you like. We're not short of a few pence. Thank you. All right, Ron, get at it. Ron, when I said I'd come for tea, I, I didn't realise you lived in this style. Neither did I, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll answer the door, Ron. You concentrate on what you're doing, on. Good afternoon. Love me a special constable. Constable? I'm Simpson, chauffeur to Miss Pottington. Oh, Miss Pottington, look, she don't want you yet. She's on the sofa with my son. Oh, but look, I'll... Give him, give him half hour, please. Once I'm in the family, I'll see you all right for new laid eggs. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Miss Partington is outside in a roll. Outside? Yes. Would you be good enough to uh, return a pink hat she dropped from the balcony in the cinema onto your son's lap? From the balcony? You mean she wasn't sitting next to my son? Is it likely that Miss Partington would sit downstairs in the one and nines? Oh, <laughs> just a minute. F, come here. Yes, Mr Glenn. Uh, look at this pink hat with a pom-pom, my dear. Does it mean anything to you? <laughs> No, I never wear a hat, Mr Glum. Oh, and if I did, this'd take my wage packets for a year. Hey! Then get your grubby hands off it. Mr Glum! Here, Simpson, here's the hat. Oh. And uh, 
my compliments to Miss Partington, and would she be pleased to come inside and have a nice intimate muffin tea with my unmarried son? I doubt it. Miss Partington's 62 and a martyr to her stomach. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, I must take this hat to be disinfected. Capitalist lucky! Tool of the boss classes! <laughs> cool. Oh, Mr Glum, what are you so angry about? You! You imposter! You're no more rich than what we are! Oh, you mean... You mean you aren't rich? The only thing that's rich around here is a Dundee cake. <laughs> and that isn't paid for. So I'll thank you to put that slice back. Oh, don't worry. It'll choke me now. Oh, Ron, I see what happened last night. I walk in here, and the only reason you say all those nice things to me is because you think I've got money. Now, eh? I don't do things like that. Like what? Think. <laughs> I meant what I said. Oh, Ron. And do you still? Oh, yes, eh? I admire you more than ever. Now I know you're just as cheap and common as I am. <laughs> Ron! Ron, come away from that girl! Ron! She won't bring a farthing with her. Ron, think of my old age. Ron! Ron, I'll find you another rich girl. Let her be, Ron. Oh, Ethel. Ron, 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 this is your father talking. I'm asking you to remember what I told you. What you told me, Dad? Oh, yes. Eth? Yes, Ron, dear. I find the company in here rather boring. Let's take a stroll in the shrubbery. <laughs> Rabinowitz and the BBC Review Orchestra bring our recorded show to a close. Those involved were Dick Bentley, Professor Jimmy Edwards and June Whitfield, encouraged by Wallace Eaton and the keynotes. Adrian Wallow was the announcer, Frank Muir and Dennis Norton wrote the script, and the programme was produced by Charles Maxwell. We all invite you to tune in again next week and... As those rather tuneful ladies have just told you, that was an episode of Take It From Here, first broadcast in February 1957. You're listening to BBC Radio 4 Extra. And so we come to our final choice from the 50s. It's not the end, though. Another comedy six-pack from this very decade will burst upon you in our next edition of Radio 4 Extra's Comedy Greats. Last off the blocks is another truly all-time great, The Goon Show. This is surely the most famous radio show of all time, with the most influential and celebrated clowns in the history of broadcasting. The Goons ruled the airwaves throughout the 1950s thanks to the innovative and inspired lunacy of Spike Milligan, Peter Sellers and Harry Seacombe. But just like our last choice, take it from here, it took a few series and the arrival of magnetic tape for them to really get into their stride. So much made The Goon Show stand out from the rest. Not just the inspired scripts and fleshing out of each of the characters, but also the sound effects, the mimicry, and so much more. We're joining the lads at the end of 1957. As usual, it's Seacombe's Colonel Neddy Seagoon's greedy nature that's leading him astray. This is the BBC. 
Right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, I have here in my hand, ladies and gentlemen, a chit. Granting me a permission to sing. <laughs> Get on with the old singing bit there, Walt. Well, I should like to sing the ballad. I would like to sing the... Get the old singing there, Walt. We're stretching the bit out. What about the old singing there, Walt? Well, I should like to sing the ballad Sea Fever by John Maysfield. I must go down to the sea again. Help! That got rid of him. Help! I can't swim in water. Right! Grab this imitation hand! Oh, Mr. Seagoon, that, that river was full of naughty water. What? It must have sprung a leak. <laughs> well done, well done. Well done, well done. <sighs> That's... <laughs> Folks, that was Peter Sellers doing an impression of the next car he tends to buy. He'll never last out. Now, Wall, bring out that wet stomach and read the writing on the seat of these underpants. We present the new all-leather goon show. Stop! 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 We've got a meeting out of our hands tonight. Uh, my dear Harry, the audiences we get eat out of their hands every night. How dare you insult the paid clack? Ladies and gentlemen, this week's masterpiece comes from the pen of Spike Milligan. Incidentally, Mr. Milligan is on view in his pen every Sunday morning. <laughs> from it, he has just written Ryder Haggard's immortal story, King Solomon's Minds, for the third time. Here it is, then, Carl Kellerman's Mold. <laughs> My name is Horn, Trader Horn, born in Hindstitch. How would you like a name like that, eh? Horn, Trader Horn, born in Hindstitch. My father must have been mayor. Hello, son. Oh. I spent my life in Africa hunting the cord of the rare female striped pajamas, which are dying out rapidly. Anyway, let us go back to the beginning of our story. And so saying, I sank back in my spawn chair, filled my pipe with brown... Agony, shag. In the following story I told. I first saw Lord Seagoon in 1908. He was in the south of France and the casino tables of Monte Carlo were crowded with... Numero 5, Rouge. 5, Rouge. Curse, folks. I had my money on number 5, Rand. I'd better get changed. First... <laughs> So hi, folks. Pardon is moi. Uh, Avez-vous le change pour mon ten bob note pour le francs? Uh, it will be easier for me if you speak English. I don't speak that very well, either. <laughs> An English bandy there. Have a care, frog eater, or I'll dig up Napoleon and clout his nut. I apologize. I apologize for your disgusting behavior. Murky. Brace your bets, please. Thousand francs on red ten. Two thousand francs on eleven. Top until number three. <laughs> What? We never take English money. Oh, good, then I can't lose. I'll leave it on. <laughs> Have you Have tried the other tables? Yep, on all the chairs. Have a nut. Have a Get this in the other Oh, 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 oh
Now, any final bets? Ten francs on number 100. There's no such number on the wheel. I'll take a chance. My second name is Madman. That's my first name. Get <laughs> The night wore on. I found myself at a table with Lord Seagone opposite. It was poker. Poker with a vengeance. The table was surrounded by excited spectators. The bids were a million francs a time. I had raised them two million. I felt confident. I had the best poker hand I'd ever had. It all depended on one player to call. Finally, he did. Snap! <laughs> Playing poker. Oh, well, I'm winning, ain't I? <laughs> yes, you are. Blast you. This man's impossible. I refuse to play at this table. Sure, uh, me too. Where shall we go, fellas? <laughs> Monsieur Eccles, Monsieur Eccles, the oh. managing director of the casino, insists that you leave. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the managing director throwing me out. What an honor that is. The ambulance is outside. Ambulance? I'm not sick. You will be. He's going to run over you. <laughs> let me go. Let me go. Get out of here. Oh, that's enough. Let's Thank go. heavens he's gone. He's won two million francs and I'm... skint. Where's my speaking trumpet? Calling hawks. I'm destitute, folks. No money, folks. Ruined, folks. Farewell, folks. And farewell, cruel world, folks. Seagoon was ruined. He took the only way out. The tradesman's entrance, folks. I'll have a tune in Max Geldry's secret laundry list. Where's that corkscrew? Brandy!
During that number, a plot started to emerge. Lord Sigun, impoverished, set out for Africa to seek his fortune. He was bound for the Upper Congo. Oh, dear. Silly place to have a pimple. Not a decent angle mirror in the place. Come along, you flies. Out you go, lad. Out you go. Good, good. Now I shall have a spoonful of the old curry powder. Puts power in your knees, you know. It's a river steamer. <laughs> and what a steamer. Sinjis. Sinjis thing. What is it, Major? What is perplexing you? A river boat has arrived. Oh, my. I must look my best. Lay out a fresh sock, will you? <laughs> I'm not putting it on. Just laid out for show. Gad, I haven't seen anyone from England for ten years. Well, it's very difficult to see them such a long way away, you <laughs> Come in, come in. Good morning, sir. I'm, I'm just off the river steamer from England. Cad, how strange. A white man. Uh, my name is Miss Minnie Bannister. It's even stranger, a white man called Miss Minnie Bannister. <laughs> What's happening back in England? Nothing's happening back in England. Well, there's progress for you. <laughs> come in, dear sir. Sir, I, I'm, I'm a woman. Woman? Woman, that name strikes a chord, you know. Where's me old medical charts now? What's he doing? What's he doing? Woman, woman, W-A-M-A. Ah, here we are, yes, woman. Woman is a... Oh. And... Oh. Those flies back again. I'm spitting tonight. Coming, lads. Good morning. You're not one of my flies. I'm not one of anyone's flies. <laughs> so, an unemployed fly. Bars <laughs> off, sir. Wait, Major. What? I need work. That's why I've left England. I've just stepped off the boat. That's two of you off the riverboat. It was much bigger than I thought, you know. <laughs> well, I was under the impression that it was a single-seater ocean liner. It was, but it had a large boot. So it walked here. Well, you just happen to be lucky. Allow me to change my voice and introduce myself as Harry Trader Horn. How do you do? A rich client of mine. Um, Hello, Hawks. Calling Hawks. Calling Hawks. He told me a strange tale, Hawks. A rich client was sending an expedition into the interior, Hawks, and he wanted me to go along as an assistant hunter. I want you to go along as an assistant hunter. Yes, I, I've just told him that, you know. Uh, thank you. I said thank you, Hawks. Yes, I've told the folks. Yeah, he said he told you, folks. Has he, folks? Thank you, folks. On with the story, folks. King Solomon's Mines, part three, folks. Mrs. Briggs, have you checked the safari supplies? Yes, Jim. Yes, Jim. <laughs> right, Jim. Oh, Jim, and I'm... Oh, uh, Mr. Trader Horn, my all ready to start the trick, eh? <laughs> are you quite sure you know where the King Solomon's mines are? Yes, in Africa. Africa is a very big place. Pardon? Africa is a very big place. Then don't stand so close to me. 
It's nothing to fear. What? I'm downwind. <laughs> did you get that non-trade union assistant? I did. Allow me to introduce under this steaming electric wig, Lord Seagoon. You! You! Me! Don't change the subject. What? <laughs> this man's a notorious international confidence stricter by appointment to the government. <laughs> How dare you insult a French count like that without payment of leather guineas? Ah, uh, Moriarty, now what? put what? down those replicas of clenched fists. <laughs> Neddy need have no fear. We are but the minions of a rich man who is financing this trip. Moriarty, time for your owl. Owl. Splendid. <laughs> it's the only cure for our grip, you know. Ah, where is this rich man, then? Speak up or I'll swallow this stuffed seagull. He's nailed up in this wooden crate here. Are you all right, sir? Yeah, fine, fine. I'm finished with the bottle. That's the famous Eccles. You recognized him by his crate? You devils. You mean you've had him nailed up in that crate for the whole voyage? Of course not, of course not. Half the time he was sealed in the barrel. My turn. Yes. <laughs> sealed in a barrel? How did he breathe? He breathed through his nose. Ha! Ha! Are you going to keep a laughing part? We are after King Solomon's mines. Ah, the hooks. Did you hear that, folks? We are hunting for King Solomon's mines, folks. Forward into Africa, <laughs> For three days, the expedition traveled upstream by river. For days, they never saw an Albert Memorial. This was Africa at its most primitive. Some of the men got restless. How long are we going to be on this uh, river, sir, river lot, then? <laughs> Two more days settled, and then a month's march inland. A month? I've got to be away from home for a month. You're not worried, are you? Of course I'm worried. My babysitter charges two bob an hour. <laughs> well, couldn't your wife have done it? No, she charges three bob an hour. <laughs> well, it's worth it. Worth it? We haven't even got babies. <laughs> now, listen, I'm not stopping in Africa. I've got, I got three windows to dress. You can't get me off this boat. I'll love Anne and June, I'll tell you. Right, hop! Yes, next, Hans! Sigun, me Thans, I saw you throw little Jim into the water. Yes, I thought the chains would do him good, you know. I warn you, Sigun, if little Jim is not back for next week's catchphrase, I shall say it myself. Oh. Allow me to try him. <clears throat> He's fallen in the water. <laughs> no, it's no good. I, I can't do it. Help! Help! I'm drowning in non-kosher water! Help! Oh, look, a crocodile making straight for Cyril. Got him. Now to get the crocodile. You got him too! It looks like a very old crocodile. Yes, he won the old crocs race to Brighton last year. <laughs> I'll have a pair of real shoes out of him. Wait a moment. It's floating downstream towards Spriggs' boat. <laughs> got any rope? Then lasso that crocodile and give him a toe. Why should I? He's had two of mine already. <laughs> no good. The pace is much too much. Ellington, play a cool tune on your phone. Brandy. Yeah. 
Chicago to L.A. More than 2,000 miles all the way. Get your kicks on Route 66. Now you go through St. Louis, Jumpin', Missouri, and Oklahoma City is mighty pretty or see. Amarillo, Gallup, New Mexico, Flagstaff, Arizona, don't forget Winona, Kingsman, Boston, San Bernardino, won't you? Take heed of this timely tip When you take the California trip Get your kicks on Route 66 Get your kicks on Route 66 Get your kicks on Route 66 Kicks on Route 66 Get your kicks Get your kicks, Route 66. The river journey complete. The great safari formed up for the great trek inland, and the headsman's name was Ginger. I say, are you Ginger? Yes, me, Ginger. <laughs> Golly good. I say, I must have my eyes tested, you know. Umbu yellow, talagud kali magu a ibazil gadul. Have you tried wearing? <laughs> have you tried wearing them back to front? <laughs> Careful, he's a head man. He says the expedition is ready to start inland. It's going to be a long march. Nonsense, it can't last more than 31 days. I have a friend with a calendar, you know. Ah, listen, you at all. The pipe tells me from here to our destination is 400 miles. How far is that? That's a secret. Go on, Hawks, lap it up. Now then. This journey needs stamina. Keep stamina. Where's stamina? I'll spill it. This little malarium. Keegan, <laughs> how much ground could you cover in a day? I'd cover ten square yards standing still. That's... I'm glad to hear that, uh, Neddy. Now come back. Moriarty. Horn, trader Horn, born in Houndsditch, is waiting to carry us in his portable tree. We must get there. I don't trust Gritpipe and Moriarty. And I don't trust Moriarty and Gritpipe. Well, keep an eye on my two first, then we'll settle yours. Right. Umbala, we go. <laughs> right. Help me get this crate on my head. You all right in there, Eccles? Yeah, fine, fine. Um, oh, tell me, is it the day or night? What's that up in the sky? The sun. It's day, Eccles! Oh, oh this is the life, nailed up in a crate, being carried to Africa. Oh, a slice of bread on each other, like. Oh, no, that's so good, I tell you. This is the living. <laughs> Don't get excited, Eccles, this crate leaks. <laughs> Forward into the interior. We might meet the decorators. How hooks did you get that fox interior? Interior decorator. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, folks. Forward. 
We made slow progress. The jungle was very dense. So were we. <laughs> By April the 22nd, we'd only reached February the 1st. Where are we heading for? Where are we heading? Where are we heading? Where are we heading for? Where are we heading for? Well done, Cords. Pardon. I'll tell you, gentlemen, with the financial aid of Mr. Eccles and Moriarty's overdraft, we are seeking the King Solomon's Mines. Solomon's Mines? But the King Solomon's Mines? It's only a legend. We know it's only a legend. We're determined to find it. Moriarty, you've got the map. Show them, Moriarty. Moriarty. Where is that schnorrer? Moriarty. <laughs> Moriarty. Moriarty. Count Moriarty, where are you? It sounds as if he's gone. <laughs> oh? And what sound does a person make when he's gone? Uh, this. That's it. <laughs> That's the sound he's making. So, the steaming eater of escargots and snails has done the dirty on my dirty. Get him. Give me those dentist pliers and that rusty razor blade. He's gone and made the same sound. Where's my leather speaking trumpet? Hello, folks. Here we are all left to the jungle, folks, with no one who will help, folks. I will help you, my good man. Enter a fresh lunatic. Just what England needs. Wait here while we go and trap Moriarty with this picture of 41, 28, 39. Right. right. Follow me, man. Give me some men who was the party men. We'll fight for the men who we free. Give me some men who was the party men. and lifted me. Ah, well, like all good boy scouts, I will play with my elastic. Stretch, stretch, aye! <laughs> my nut! Keep quiet out there. There's people in this crate trying to get some sleep. <laughs> Is that you in there, Echoes? Yeah, that's me in there, Echoes. Is it dark in that crate, Echoes? Well, it's like a match and see. Oh, no! It was a moment ago, though. Oh. Good, because I want to take a photo of you for the beautiful body contest in the Finchley Nature Mag. Oh, 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 oh. I'll take my clothes off. OK, ready? Yeah, ready. Oh, these splinters. You, you smiling, Echoes? Yep. There, I took the Echoes. Which way was you facing? I was on facing this side. Oh, you had your back to me. <laughs> Just ruined the fighter now. Let me go. Come on, you devils, we've got him, you. Hello, hawks, hello, hawks. It was all a hairy plot, folks. Moriarty running away and grit pipe and arranged to make it look like he knew nothing about it, etc., etc., etc. Sort it out for yourself, folks. If it weren't for those speeded up recordings of running, you'd never have caught us, I tell you. Now release Eccles. Uh, hurry up, we're getting near the end of the show. Out you go, Eccles. Eccles. What are you doing in the nude? I was, I was posing for the nature, nature photograph. You're the wrong shape, lad. <laughs> you need advice. Now, you fiends, into the crate with me. Oh. Ah. Oh. There, and in there you stay. Blood knock, throw him on the boat. <laughs> Missed. Who is, 
Worse still, if little Jim had been here, he could have said... Let Colin and the Barker. He could have said that. <laughs> now, my dear friends, the rich Eccles, my pal, my dear old rich mate. Where's that silly old two million francs, eh? It was all in that crate. <laughs> An unhappy ending, folks. Not for me, it isn't now. It's all in the mind, you know. That was The Goon Show, a BBC recorded programme featuring Peter Sellers, Harry Seagum and Spike Milligan with the Rayleigh to Quartet, Max Geldray and the orchestra conducted by Wally Stott. Script by Spike Milligan and Harry Stevens. Announcer, Wally Screenslade. The programme produced by Roy Spear. A well-deserved round of applause for The Goon Show, closing our first selection. But we've six more of the 50s funniest for you in our next edition of Radio 4 Extra's Comedy Greats. With me, Barry Cryer, when once again it'll be my very great pleasure to say hello, cheeky. Who put that in? That's from the 70s. Why not? Somebody's had an attack of taste. Magic.